Hey everybody, it's Chris here. I'm sitting uh, pretty much alone on this yacht owned by a friend of mine. We're docked in uh, La Paz, which is, uh, if you look in the Sea of Cortez, <clears throat> it's on the, the left-hand side. We're docked. Everybody went into town to provision the boat and and uh, wander around, see what's going on in town. So uh, I've got some quiet time here. I'm sitting in the living room. This morning we went out swimming with whale sharks, if you can believe that. Um, I will post at least a couple of photos uh, to my uh, Instagram account, and I'll try to maybe get a video up on my webpage. It's not real easy to upload things from the boat. We've got satellite connectivity. <coughs> Excuse me. But, uh, yeah, the upload speed's not real good. So we'll see if I can find a cafe or something. Uh, I think we're spending another night here. I'll try to upload some, some interesting stuff to my webpage. In any case, I think I'm going to be able to upload a podcast. So I'll go ahead and do an intro for this and see if I can... Not sure if it'll be up today, tomorrow, whatever. It's Sunday uh, at the moment and uh, 4 p.m. more or less. But I've still got to, you know, edit everything, put it together. So I'll try to get up tonight, tomorrow. We'll see. But you, if you don't hear this till next week uh, and you're a, an early listener, pardon the delay. It's because of satellite weirdness. Anyhow, uh no sponsors on this one. Let's just rock right through. Uh, since I'm going to start uh, uploading more frequently because I want to burn through this backlog I've got. Um, this is this is an amazing uh, conversation with a friend of mine named Chris James. You will know Chris well by the by the end of this. You'll hear some uh, very um, powerful and personal stories from his life. He was uh, extremely candid and, and open uh, in giving this interview or having this conversation. Um, he's a, as you'll hear, he's an extremely interesting guy. But before we get to that, let's just run through some mail. Josh Holt invited me to come hang out with him in Minnesota. I don't think so, Josh, but thanks for the invitation. Maybe when things warm up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> not sure. Uh, Nathan Harrison. Uh Dump truck driver in not so great Britain. Uh, very cool email. Thank you very much. I uh, really appreciate uh, getting emails like yours. I uh, hope everything's cool over there. And I think you, you said something about maybe doing uh, your own podcast. I think, you know, Dump Truck Confessions would be a great name for a podcast. Get people in your truck with you and you can talk while you work. Uh, Gainer Stewart, thanks for your email and your offer to help. I'll definitely be in touch uh, when and if something occurs to me. Matt Lee, thank you. Uh, yeah, I get lots of emails. I'm trying to mention everyone. Kristen Franklin in Detroit. Uh, Grant Lamberson, thank you for your um, uh, donation, uh, <laughs> which you said is... Uh, specifically for my pooping down the palace wall story that I told on Duncan's podcast. So um, I just got paid for my shit story. So I, I'm very, I should tell more stories like that, I guess. Uh, Josue Davila, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Josue, 
Davila, thank you. Mucho gusto. Muchas gracias por tu, tu mensaje. And Christian Whiteside, thank you very much for your for your message as well. Uh, appreciate it. Appreciate all of them. If I missed anyone, I'm sorry. Um, starting to get uh, a lot of emails now. The, the download numbers keep going up. I think I was at like 130,000 for the last three, 30 months. I mean, 30 days. Um, so, and uh, you know, that's a lot of, a lot of people who sometimes write emails. So I try to answer everybody at least to say thanks, but if something slips through the cracks, please don't, uh, don't feel offended. I, it's just, uh, you know, how life is. So either say hi again or, or be sure that uh, I appreciate your email. Uh, Anyway, so we're not doing any of the official sponsors, but of course, the ever-present, always ready, always comfortable, always wonderful Shore Design t-shirts. Uh, Got to thank them, even if I'm not thanking anybody else. Got to thank Shore Design t-shirts. They're the best. Uh, really appreciate their support, and I, most of all, I appreciate their products. So as you saw, as you've seen, if you if you start to if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I'm starting to pick up some official sponsors but i assure you uh i only will accept sponsorship from products you know people manufacturers whatever that i use and enjoy myself um i won't name any names but i got offered a sponsorship recently and tried to use the product and uh ran into lots of problems and uh yeah, so it's unfortunate because, you know, of course, I'm happy to to have a little financial support for the podcast. Um, but and I'm and I'm honored when people think it's it's worth spending some money to get me to talk about their stuff. But if I can't speak honestly about it, if I can't say, yeah, this works as advertised and I enjoyed it and I use it and, you know, then I'm just not going to do it. Uh, certainly not for a couple hundred bucks. If somebody offers me six figures, then, yeah, I'll probably do it. You know, sure. But then you'll know. Those of you who know me well enough will know I'm bullshitting and just taking the big payoff, right? But I wouldn't hold your breath. <laughs> I don't think anybody's. I mean, we've all got our price, right? Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah. So at least I'll wink when I start doing that stuff if it happens. Anyway, uh, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, hope you're all well. Greetings from La Paz, Mexico. And I uh, hope you enjoy this wonderful conversation I had with the truly great, wonderful, interesting, deep, sincere, beautiful Chris James. Ciao. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time? Think about your reputation. All right, I'm sitting here in the Hollywood Hills, the beautiful home of uh, Chris James, polymath, uh, renaissance man, without a powdered wig, um, but he's got his, his trademark hat on, 
There's still time. You know what? I don't know if it was your influence or someone else's influence. I had, I think it was this. It's probably a combination of you because you always wear that that kind of knit hat yeah. kind of thing. That's that's your look. And I've got this friend who's a fashion model who also did that. Yeah. And the two of you look so good with it. So I went on Amazon and I ordered these knit hats, <laughs> and, and it was like three for ten bucks or something. It's worth trying. It was a bargain. Yeah. But what they were, I didn't realize they were like these Muslim. Headwear things. So they were more squared off, or well, they were like woven. They, uh-huh. they weren't like it wasn't yeah. like a ski hat. It was more like this weird kind of. It was like a like a whole head yarmulke sort of yeah. thing. And I got them, and my sister's boyfriend, who's black, looked at me, and he's like, "Dude, you, you know, like those are for black Muslims." <laughs> you know, I don't know where you think you're going with that, nice. but no, yeah. so it was a bold statement. <laughs> yeah, it was. For. I was trying to rebrand, and it didn't quite work. Beanies are pretty specific, man. Like, oh, they're beanies. I mean, they're oh, a beanie. They're, they're knit hats. Sounds much more sophisticated when you say it, but it's it's a beanie at the end of the day. For listeners who are confused, yeah. go to chrisryan.com. Go to the podcast page, and there will be a picture of Chris that I took about five minutes ago wearing his beanie. So you'll know what we're talking about. I mean, it's not like any beanie. You can't just get uh, any beanie. Like, and as I've aged, as I've gotten older, like it's even become somewhat pretentious. Like this beanie is a hundred dollar beanie. Are you and, kidding me? No, I swear. It's kind of embarrassing. Is that a but, designer but beanie? It, it's pseudo designer beanie. It's like you know. I mean, if you can feel it, it's like you know. It's oh, that's a soft beanie. See, it's a soft beanie. It's not that just is any a beanie. is that cashmere? It is. It's a cashmere beanie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, I gotta go back on Amazon. Yeah, you're not gonna get three of these for ten. <laughs> um, but I generally. Don't. It's kind of like that that thing that it's embarrassing to admit, but it's a thing, especially in LA, mm-hmm. like where you you get expensive clothes and try to make it look like they're cheap. You, you know, yeah. like you don't want to look like you're kind of into fashion, but secretly. You right. Well, isn't it like people in the know will know? Like people will look at you and they'll be like, "Oh, he's got one of those hundred dollar cashmere beanies on." Yeah, and that gets you far, right? Because it's a it's a secret language, right? Right. With those other people that you judge, you know, that you're hypercritical of, they know, right? And and then all the the riffraff are buying cheap shit that they're trying to make look expensive, right? So you're like dissing them with the reverse move it's not something i generally would admit to but yeah yeah (laughs) yeah no i know i know that's how it works yeah it's pretty i'm enough of an insider that i can see that but see i go for the i go for the the complete ace in the hole which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't but i just read about this recently um, uh, there's a psychological study of this showing that, like, there are all these secret languages, right? Like, uh, you know, businessmen. Businessmen can, there's like the suit and there's the suit, right? Okay. And like, so if you know suits, you look at a, a guy's suit and you're like, oh, that's a $1,500, right. you know, Vincenti Saragamo suit. And, right, right, right. You know, as opposed to the, the suit guy, you know, three yeah. for a hundred bucks or whatever. Well, 1500 is still kind of a crappy suit. Oh, see, there you go. It's, there you go. I'm just saying. Here, like, yeah. <laughs> what are you, a fucking investment banker too? I'm just telling you, like those guys that know, 
It's got to be like, oh, that's a five thousand dollars suit. Oh, oh, yeah, it's not, gotten to that. It's fifteen hundred. It? The guy's like a crappy broker. Right. That's like a shitty yacht. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. all right. Anyway, so so see, but this all this all keys into my theory. Yeah. All right. Okay. I want the hear fact it. that I don't know that. Right shows that I'm above this, so, so I'm like so yeah. fucking cool that I can mm-hmm. walk into a boardroom at Goldman Sachs wearing whatever the fuck I'm yes. wearing, wearing this, yeah, which and is sexy <laughs> in its in its way, <laughs> and and they will be like, "Wow, this dude just does not give a fuck," right? So he's cooler than all of us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's that like uh, like you can play the game and you can play it really well and and score all those points or if you can pull it off and I'm not saying I always yeah, can but if you can pull it off like you just you transcend the game mm-hmm. and then everybody's like wow yeah no I, I totally understand and I've had that experience and I love the challenge of that experience mm. and again it it's it's kind of throwing out your cards to be honest about your awareness of your well, that's the nature way. of this podcast so i'm glad right. we're starting with this god knows where we'll end up but but <laughs> but, but it, it is true i mean it it is one of those like internal awarenesses of like okay watch i'm gonna walk into this place they're gonna judge me hypercritically and look at me as some street kid but but if by the end i have them wanting me to be a part of what they're doing then i've won even bigger yeah and and it it does happen pretty regularly i get that kind of thing with hippies a lot (laughs) you know where i'll meet some hippies and they'll all they'll all be sitting around the campfire you know smoking joints and you know talking about transcendence or whatever and i'll show up and it'll be like oh here's the straight dude right Uh uh-huh and then by the end of the conversation they're like Really? You know the guy who invented ecstasy? Seriously? Like, yeah. like, oh, wow, yeah. Oh, and you've, like, you know, you were invited to Albert Hoffman's birthday party? Yeah. Like, holy shit, you know? Right. Or they just think I'm laying bullshit on them. Right. But they can Google my ass and find out. They, they can. And it is, like, an ego game. Like, it, it, it is an ego game. And I think it's, like, people who are a little bit savvy in in sense of kind of educated don't want to play the game of the the nine to five or corporate life it's kind of our version of like okay let's see how savvy we can be i think yeah i mean there is that although and maybe i'm deluding myself here but because uh, as you know you know my chris and i have been friends for what three years four More years than that. Yeah, yeah i mean you wrote to me shortly after the book came out mm-hmm. and then we we hung out. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah, 2010, more or less. So, you know that until 2010, I was a fucking English teacher in Barcelona, right? And yeah. I was like 46 years old, like absolutely no alpha male right. status. Right, in a hammock. Essentially. Yeah. The good old days. Right. Um, so, anyway, I, I mean, I kind of feel like I, I don't get much ego gratification from that shit, but I feel like. What I am doing is is valuable because what I'm showing them is don't think you know someone by exactly. looking at them, you dumbass. Yeah. Especially if you totally. call yourself a hippie. Totally. Right? You know, open-minded hippie making judgments about people yes. you don't know. Fuck you. You're not a hippie. Yeah. If you were born in the 30s in Germany, you'd be a fucking Nazi. You're just a totally. party man, you know? It, it is a statement that you're making, and I, and I do it as well. But sometimes when I hear myself, you know, reiterate 
that I like doing that, I feel like there is an internal kind of fuck you. Well, you're very good at it. Oh, thanks. When you were raised in in this environment, right? You're a Hollywood creature. Yeah, I mean, since I was about 16, I've been in Hollywood. Before that, I lived just outside of it. Weren't you like a surfer or something? I was a skateboarder. Oh, even cooler. Yeah. Right. Like the surfing thing. I mean, I grew up in Huntington Beach, and so you had your skaters under the pier, and then the surfers. And I love the idea of surfing, but there's a lot of riptides and uh. the board through the wave thing getting that through it's just i would get too tired and i'd rather just fucking float around yeah you, you know so yeah, i, I kind of stopped that and became a skater that's good are you yeah. a surfer no i'm a floater yeah 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 <laughs> but you should see me i'm on the championship float circuit right yeah i like body surfing i love body surfing because you don't yeah. have to carry anything yeah you know? yeah i'm very i mean when it comes to sports and adventure and stuff i'm very i don't know if lazy is the word but i don't like a lot of rigmarole I, you know yeah. like skiing is such a pain in the ass it's a pain in the ass i like skiing but it's like it's the the ratio of fun to hassle yeah. and expense is just off the charts totally it, it's the same with most things in life aside from just fucking hanging out yeah uh, which is why eventually we avoid most things and we try to get paid to do the least amount of shit i think but um but that was the same. Like at the time I was in Huntington Beach, I got obsessed with scuba diving, and mm. and so that was like my first job as a kid when I was fifteen. I I was a I was a rescue scuba diver. Wow! And uh, a rescue. Yeah. Yeah. So who are you rescuing? Submarine crews? Now, well, if they needed it, but generally not that important. Mostly like students that were going for their first class and oh. and I, I was like the little aggressive kid and so the older men who were teaching would have me deal with like rounding up all the people who were getting fucked up going through the waves <laughs> you know and freaking out and forgetting to inflate their bc so right. they're panicking yeah and every once in a while it was like an attractive girl oh. and so i was the little kid who was saving her and i you know and then they'd want to talk to me and you'd cop out. a feel when you're dragging yeah, absolutely. her in you yeah. got to do that no cross chest carry baby what yeah. can i tell you I wasn't that I wasn't that um savvy at that age you know like i, I mean I, I was i thought i would touch how, but how old are you now? 15 I, now i'm 40 i mean no, no i, I mean then, yeah you're 15 yeah 15. all right but shortly after that i did actually lose my virginity at 15 so but it wasn't smooth to a woman like, who was unconscious and floating in the waves somewhat <laughs> it was actually this sounds cooler than it is but it was actually two women oh yeah uh, you lost your virginity to, to two women. Yeah. Oh, it's were, all downhill from there, no, brother. Oh, it, you it, were screwed. No, no, no. It's worse than, than <laughs> you imagine. Twins. Like, no, they Lingerie were Lingerie models. Obviously, they were uh-huh. older. They were, I think that they were from Texas. And I was in Cozumel. And oh, beautiful place. It, yeah, 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 yeah. It was my first trip without an adult. And so my friend and I went to... Um, Obviously, Carlos and Charlie's, because that's the place you go when you're in Mexico and you don't mm. know any better. And uh, What so is that, a resort? I've never been it, to Carlos. It's Cosmo. like a... Oh, it was Car- in Isla Mujeres. Carlos no. and Charlie's is kind of like TGI Fridays of oh. Mexico. Oh, okay. You know, like, right. or, or of like Americanized Mexican right. places. Um, so, yeah, I was 15. And we were at Carlos and Charlie's, and you know, and they shoot like things in your mouth, you know, and you're like laying uh, back, and it's all over your it's face. It's like a spring break sort totally of thing. Totally spring right. break sort of thing. 
and these two girls from Texas who were, I think, um, one of them, I think, was like 18 and one of them was like 20. They're sitting next to me. Now, I was a little pure kid, right? I, I didn't even know what drugs were at that point, and I barely had drank. And I was, like, more athletic. And uh, and so they're sitting there, and I start talking to them. I'm like, wow, I'm talking to a girl. This is amazing. And uh, they're cute, and they, they keep talking to me, so this is good. And so one of them says, hey, we have X if you want to wanted some X and I was like oh cool yeah what's that and they said oh it's just you just take it and it makes you feel really lovey and it's fun and so I didn't even know it was a drug and so I was like yeah sure so, so they give it to me take it I turned to my friend a little later who was older than me and I said yeah they just gave me this thing called X and he was like that's a drug that's a drug you took a drug and I was like what oh no it's a drug and he's like yeah but they said it was fine and then you just feel lovey and stuff so I'm sitting there about 45 minutes later. I, I finally start to feel something, but I don't really know that I'm feeling something. Yeah. And I look at the girl, and I, I just knew I had to say something. And the best thing I could come up with was, you're really pretty. And I said that, and she just laid her mouth into me, and we started kissing. And so I'm not even noticing we're kissing because I'm so in my head. Yeah. I'm like doing wow. this. This is amazing. So your your mind is blown because you're 15 and you're high on X. And I'm so high because my body is like yeah. an immaculate thing at this point in time. <laughs> uh, uh-oh, there's an immaculate conception about to take place. Uh-oh. Right. So... I'll try to give... So you're in the restaurant. Yeah, yeah, the bar. And, and her friend? What's her friend doing? Uh, she's just sitting there, too. They're high, too, yeah. the two of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my friend gets uncomfortable, so he leaves and goes back to the hotel. Right. So I'm with the two of them, and eventually it was time to leave that place. So they said, come, let's go to, to our hotel. So we went there, and I was so intensely high at this point, and... I thought maybe this could never happen again, so I better try to do everything I possibly can <laughs> all in one yeah, sitting. Thinking like a 15-year-old. <laughs> right. I hear you, man. So, this will never happen again. Right. Yeah. So literally, like, I, with those two girls, like, I did everything I could think of that I'd ever seen in any movie. <laughs> and, 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 and in retrospect, I did it all wrong. Like, uh, I was like... Uh, basically in the wrong spot at the wrong time every time like when i look back and think about it it's like oh it's not the pubic hair part that you need to stimulate Uh, (laughs) but i spent a long time fucking doing that and and nobody clued you in well maybe they liked it yeah yeah, cool this is new So, dude's into pubic hair. Yeah, He's a yeah. bushmaster. Yeah. So, yeah. so <laughs> and this was in the like early, you know, whatever it was in the you know late '80s or something, and it wasn't shaved time. Yeah, you know, so you yeah. still in movies, you just saw pubic hair down there, and uh, so yeah, I spent a lot of time doing the wrong things hmm. for hours. Honestly, it was probably like six hours, and <laughs> and and but because the there was the drug was so infesting me, yeah. I never had an orgasm. Right. 
So I'm doing it and doing it and doing it and this and that. And my jaw's numb and like, I can't move my arm anymore. I'm just, like shaking my body to keep it going. Like it's like one of those times. And no, you've You're never had me, that. No, no, <laughs> so, no. So finally, like they're like, oh, we gotta go. It's like our flight. And so, our flight. Yeah, Kids, stop, stop. <laughs> right. So I'm like, okay. So I go back. Great. Finish the trip. I'm like, come. I come back to California. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm doing it now. Like, I do it. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a guy. Oh, like, I know how to do it. Yeah. I do this. And um, so, living it with mom, and I, I get, you know, a week later, I get up in the morning and I notice that there's like a, a green drop on my tidy whitey underwear. What? And I was like, oh, I don't know what that is. I'll change. And so a little later, I go to the bathroom oh, and there's another one. Oh, no. And, and by two days from there, I was like crying, peeing fire. <clears throat> And then I had to, like, bring it up to my mom that something was wrong and I needed a ride oh to the God. doctor. Are you kidding me? And so I had got whatever, gonorrhea or chlamydia. and uh, That would be gonorrhea. Gonorrhea, I think, I yeah. Think, yeah. yeah. Um, they're all the same now. Well. But, um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I yeah. think it was gonorrhea. So you took some antibiotics. I took some antibiotics. Good. Yeah. But wow. the, I, I had a, a friend warn me going in, like, they're going to want to put this, like, big like q-tip oh up my your, god your urethra. Ah. and and he like prepped me so much and the doctor was so adamant about wanting to test and i said how about we test the antibiotics and if those don't work a week i'll right. endure the crying pee fit flames and i'll come back and you can stick yeah. things in my penis but right now i'd prefer not that so instead he stuck his finger in my butthole to like do a full check he just wanted to stick I, something in yeah, somewhere like, and, and that was hell? my first experience with anything anal and, and and it definitely like made me realize like i don't really want to do this gay. yeah like because i he's like okay and i got into the position and and it was one of those oh like where you feel your stomach kind of go like sounds was, like an asshole. I, not to pun, but uh, he was thorough. Well, he it sounded like he was being punitive. Maybe he's trying to teach you teach something. Teach me a lesson. Yeah, yeah. Like don't have sex. Was that the yeah, lesson? Yeah, at fifteen without a condom, yeah. which is not a bad lesson to learn, but not right. that way. Yeah. Well, I had a similar thing. I, I used to work for uh, this organization called Job Corps, a Department of Labor thing for. Um, essentially for like homeless kids to get job training and they, they send them to these camps where you, you learn different trades and uh, you can finish high school and get college credits. And it's like a really good thing for kids who qualify. And my job was to interview the kids and decide who could get in and who couldn't, which okay. was a heavy job, you know, because yeah, you get well. some homeless 15 year old. You know, and it's like, wow, I can either like take have you taken care of for the next five years or four years or whatever it was, or sorry, go back to right. the street. You know, that's a very empowered position. Yeah, yeah, very low pay, um, <laughs> but uh, when you could really help somebody, it was incredibly gratifying. Yeah. Anyway, one of the things I always had to say to them was, you understand part of the process is you're going to get a full medical exam. And for the guys, that includes sticking a thing in your penis, oh, a Q-tip in your penis, right? It's just not worth So I, I thought about that because I was talking about it every day. Yeah. And I have never had that experience. Right. Well, there's but still time. There's... <laughs> 
It's it's like you know, uh, piss and fire for a week, no question. Right. Give it to me. Yeah. Give me the fire piss. I'll whatever. <laughs> you know, almost the last possible thing. So a couple years ago, I had a kidney stone. Oh, I hear that's the awful. Oh my god. So I had this kidney stone, and. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how much of this story to tell, but essentially the part that's relevant to this, I mean, all right, you've been very revealing. So, so I get this pain. My wife's a doctor, right? I get, I get this pain. It's in my abdomen, and she thinks I've got uh, like a gas bubble trapped in my digest right. in my because actually I went to the hospital as a kid because I had a big gas bubble in my in digestive system somewhere yeah. and they thought I had like stomach cancer and they were testing for everything because I was in this incredible pain. I, my parents had a swimming pool and I was always trying to set new underwater records. So what I was doing is when I t- took these really deep breaths, I was swallowing air. So oh. I built up this massive bubble in my intestines somewhere. Okay, um, but anyway. <laughs> So knowing my medical history, she thought that I had a bubble. So she had me stand on my head naked and she poured olive oil in my ass. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. to, this is my wife, you know, it's like, yeah, the romance is gone, baby. Yeah. Wow. So, but anyway. And that's the only time you've done that? <laughs> it was the first time. Right. So, so anyway, uh, that didn't solve the problem. It kept getting worse. Finally, I went to the hospital. I was like, I was... Literally, I was in the waiting room, and I was literally falling out of the chair, writhing in agony on the floor. That's how you bad it was. were falling because of the oil? It was slippery? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the doctor's like, you've got olive oil dribbling out of your ass. What, what is Greek. <laughs> this is Spanish. And it was extra virgin, I'll have you know. Okay. Um, but anyway, so so eventually they figure out it's a, it's a kidney stone, but the stone had passed already from the kidney... Well, you know, it goes down this tube between your kidney and your uh, your bladder. Okay. And that's what's really painful when it's like scritching down this tube because oh, it's a yeah. really small tube and there's this thing like yeah, scraping yeah, yeah, yeah. as it goes down. Uh-huh. Or if it gets lodged in there and blocks the flow of urine okay. from the kidney, then you get like urinary uh, or kidney infection and all uh-huh. sorts of nastiness. So this thing was going down. It never cut off the flow of urine, but... If they if they get it when it's in that tube, then they can do this sonogram thing where they send in sound waves from two different directions and like it breaks it up oh, into okay. little sand and oh, then it cool. like passes. Yeah. But by the time you know, thanks to the Spanish health system, by the time they figured out what it was, it was already in my bladder. Right. So now it's like okay, because it's really painful going down that tube, and now it's in your bladder. So now when it starts coming out of your dick, you're oh. gonna be dying, oh, right? Wow, that's. So it's in my bladder, and they say, okay, well, as long as it's in your bladder, it's not an emergency. So, But we do have to schedule you for a procedure. And the procedure was they, they have, like, needle-nose pliers that they send up your dick um, into your bladder, and they grab the thing and pull it out. 
Wow. All right. So this is worse than the Q-tip up your penis. Yeah. No, no, no. It sounds significantly it's worse. significantly worse. Yeah. And but so an I, art in itself. <sighs> art. So so I go in for the, you know, they tell me what they're going to do. And then I have to go in and have a, a meeting with the anesthesiologist. And I say to the anesthesiologist, like, can you just put me under? Like yeah, general. Totally, totally. And she laughed at me. She's like, no, no, we can't do that. You know. But uh, you can. I'm the patient. I'm telling you, I'll pay for it. Well, this was the you know national health, so it was all free, yeah, yeah. Right. and okay. so I guess I could have hired right. a doctor, or a urologist, or somebody. But yeah, um, so you did? Did you do it? Well, here's what happened. Okay, New Year's morning. <laughs> this is I don't know. This must have been five years ago, something like that. New Year's morning. Casilda and I have sex. I get up. I go downstairs to pee. And as I pee, there's this plop, and I look, and there's my kidney stone. No way. It had somehow in the orgasm. Now, I know that the oh, semen like comes lube. in through a different, a different route, but huh. somehow like it must have been like just it on the, on the road. Le- leakage. And then the orgasm pushed it up. And That's amazing. As I was coming, I felt like a little, like a weird heat or something, uh-huh. but nothing painful because right. I was like blissed out, yeah. right? <laughs> and it was like just like half a centimeter from the end, and I peed. It was just like a little pressure, and then bloop. And, yeah. like, and there it was. And, wow. dude, it was like it was like six-tenths of a centimeter. That's Why? good size, yeah. It was like a snowflake, like a big snowflake. Right. Whew. No. I mean, uh, unbelievable. Sorry. So I avoided the, the pain entirely. I avoided the pliers. Sadly. The whole thing. Yeah. 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 So, so you're, you're bringing this up because you're hoping to get that experience somehow in some other way. I think God or the universe or whatever it is that's, that's running the show does not want me to have anything up my penis. Yeah. And I fully agree with that. I, I'm not going to argue with you about it, but, you know, it's something that's there for you if you ever need a new experience. Is that isn't on my bucket list? It could be. It could be. It well, people more, get off on that, yeah. right? There are people who do get off on inserting stuff things in the into. Yeah. Power All right, let's move on. Yeah. Let's, how the hell did we get into this anyway? Uh, Something I told you I had. Oh, you're, you're yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're should, you're seemingly amazingly good, but possibly not so good. It, first it wasn't experience. good, and really, like they took advantage of me. They drugged me. And it, like if you did that in retrospect now to a fifteen-year-old, yeah, right? You would it's be rape. In, yes. Yeah. But is it in Mexico? Yeah, I don't know. In Mexico, I have no idea. Yeah. But, when, but I, if I can find them, I will. You're going to give press them a charges. talking to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, as far as drugs go, that's a pretty good drug. And as far as uh, taking advantage of a fifteen-year-old kid, like you know, yeah, they did it right. Where's the line for him? Right. You know. Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I had experiences uh, with older girls when I was very young that now, you know, you would look at it and say, well, that was definitely statutory rape. Right. Yeah. But I do not feel traumatized. Not yet. You think it'll kick in I at mean, 60? I mean, it's latent. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. It's yeah. going to kick in a little yeah. later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that's good. You're you're very hopeful for the future, my future anyway. Give you things to look forward to. You think to. I'm going to be traumatized by my 11-year-old sex experience. And potentially get pliers in your urethra. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. just stuck there. You're like, how did that happen? I tripped over in my toolbox. Yeah, look. It happens. <laughs> um. <laughs> All, right. All right, so wait a minute. No, so you're like... 
Okay, we're we're at the stage now where you're 15, you're skateboarding, you come back, you're a man. Yeah. Uh, with green goo dripping out of your dick. Yeah, this is awful. Yeah. Yeah, and then you. I, I mean, I don't want to get so off on tangential uh, speaking that we don't cover. Yeah. Because I know you've had some really interesting, unique experiences in your life. Some. Yeah, a lot of. I mean, the ones I know about are already kind of mind blowing. I mean, so you go to. Are you comfortable talking about uh, music school and and your buddy and all that stuff? Sure. Yeah. So so tell us about. So you go to Berkeley. Was it Berkeley School of Music? Yeah. In Boston, which is like you know the Harvard of of music schools. Yeah, I mean it's a good school. I guess like any school, you can either get the good part or like the eighty percent of the school get stoned and do nothing. Right. Um, I was in the other category I, I, I never even thought I would be into music I never tried to I was actually working as an actor from the time I was 16 17 but I lived in a loft with a bunch of musicians and and you know a group like Scott Wyland of Stone Temple Pilots was one of the guys so I was surrounded by musicians and I was the only one that didn't know how to play anything and so from there I, I kind of became obsessed with playing piano and and then six months later I started when I was 17 and at 18 I went to Berkeley she um, started playing the first instrument at 17 at 18 you're you're at berkeley yeah that's fucking insane it's more of obsessive than than yeah you tend to you are kind of an obsessive personality right you get into something and you you really get into it and like i can't really see much else yeah um serves you well yeah some days i should mention before we go on i should mention you're an actor you're a director of films and tv shows I stopped acting like more than ten years ago. Okay. Um, but that's that was sort of my entrance into the industry. I started doing that when I was really little, and then then you know that was when I was sixteen, seventeen, and then at eighteen I went to to Berkeley. I left Berkeley when I was twenty. I toured uh, with Wanda Jackson, and, oh, and then um, I know Wanda Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, she dated Elvis, and she's. Cool. Um, and then after that, I was back in L.A. Um, and that was around the time with my friend, with my mom, and this all stuff happened, which we can go back to. But then that sort of – I got back to L.A., and then – That was the point where there became tons of independent films starting to to be made because uh, technology started advancing. People could edit at home. Mm. And and so as I started to act again – it, it turned out that I had more experience a lot of the times on set than people who were making the movies. Right. So it quickly evolved into like I would have four or five credits on a movie because I'd end up helping edit. I would help produce. And, and that led to people paying me to write stuff. And then that led to people giving me money to direct things. Um, so, yeah. So in the past 10 years, it's just been writing, directing, producing, and accidentally now music again. Hmm. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, yeah. So that's what I meant when I said you were a polymath Renaissance man because you, you're like pretty much every part of the Hollywood process you've had a finger. You're in. here long enough. You you know you do whatever comes up. Right. And and you know partially survival. Like you know right. you need to make money and opportunities present themselves. So you just say yeah I can do it. And yeah, you figure and it you out. Do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So you're you're this thing with your your friend. You're at Berkeley. Yeah, you're playing piano. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> or getting high and not playing piano. No, I didn't get well. high at all. Oh. Like, uh, I, I was obsessed about, like, getting good because uh-huh. so many people were so good and I wasn't. Right. And so I pretty much lived in a practice room six hours a day, you know, in bad lighting, like, doing the, you know, like, for hours and hours and hours. So how did you get in after a year? Was it just raw talent? Or did you sleep you know, with someone? It, it, no, it was like this. Like, I think most things, if you're willing to pay and you show enough sign that you're capable, that's all it takes. And and I had played enough to where you could walk in and hear me playing the things I knew how to play, right. and it sounded like I was pretty good. And you had a very distinct style. You played for me once. It was a very recognizable kind of style. I mean, my, my immediate, like, Influences and stimulants as a kid were Tom Waits. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be Tom Waits and and mix that with Frank Sinatra and and then like you know, as a kid, you always like Jerry Lee Lewis. You know, yeah. so so it was yeah, like, that's the Jerry Lee Lewis, the <laughs> yeah. sort of pounding, yeah, right. yeah wild style, yeah, right. So yeah. so that was it. I could play uh. some Tom Waits songs and I could play some Jerry Lee Lewis style uh, piano yeah. and and so people go, oh wow, any anytime you're playing something that's kind of like Jerry Lee Lewis it, it's a delusional thing that you're good um, but yeah. it wasn't the case I was not a good musician but I could play these so things. you were sort of freaking out at feeling uh, inferior totally. to the other kids because those are all musical geniuses at that school. yeah there's a lot of yeah. them and um so it was really like playing catch up, and mm. so I just felt like I wanted to be, you know, at least not not so subpar, right. <laughs> not so inferior, and uh, so I just lived obsessively practiced and played and played and played, and basically that kind of led to an internal sort of emotional kind of crack right. because it was I was doing it so much, and then a, a number of ridiculous little elements occurred in my life that. Um, that kind of just led to a little bit of a breakdown. Um, first of all, my, my my dog died, and it was my first dog, and he yeah. was moved with me t- to Boston. Oh, he was and, with you. Yeah, oh, yeah, and so he died. At the same time, my mom had um, had quit a job where she was making a lot of money. The boss was kind of a bad guy. And so in the interim, I, you know, as a kid back in that day, you get offered credit cards all the time. Mm. So I had this pile of credit cards that I just had. It was like sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 of credit cards that I had never used and thought, oh, well, you know, I have them. And so I said, hey, mom, yeah, like you can, you know, use those if you want. And I'm going to use them and, and like, you know, just pay them off while you're between jobs. And that quickly went to, oh, no, they're all maxed out and you have to declare bankruptcy. So my dog died. I found out I had to declare bankruptcy. And um, <clears throat> and at the same time, computers were very new. And so you're just starting to do like music projects on a computer. But, you know, those big disks and things and there weren't, you know, you had like a two megabyte hard drive and stuff and there was no backing up. Right. So I had worked all this week. It was finals. I'd worked on this for, you know, weeks and weeks, actually. And I was putting it into the computer to like print out all the notation, and everything like this to hand it in. And right the moment I finished and went go, it crashed. And I had this when, once I realized it was gone, uh, this explosive internal strangely thing came out of me, and I, I 
I punched the computer. And because usually that helps. And, 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 <laughs> Reboot. But, but what happened is this little tiny bone here in this finger fractured. And it was the end of the semester, and all the things that I had worked on the whole time were now void. And you're a pianist with a fractured finger. Right. And at finals, you have to play all these things that you've been working on. I had never broken a bone. I had never had a cast on. I went to the doctor. I got a cast. Yeah. I started getting having these like panicky feelings and sweats and stuff because I couldn't use my hand. And I felt like a big failure for the whole semester. Yeah. And uh, so as this was happening, I started, like I said, I had these like sweats and like feeling claustrophobic and stuff. And so I went to the doctor and basically this was, you know, early 90s when pharmaceutical drugs were still a mystery, I think, to most people. And the doctor gave you a pill and you just took the pill and you didn't really, there was no awareness of it or education on it. So he gave me Valiums and painkillers. And so... Remember the end of the semester, people are going away for summer. There's parties and people hang out. So in my kind of tyranny, I'm taking these pills, right? I'm taking Valiums. I'm taking Percocets. Never was I instructed that you don't drink with them and that you don't, like, I thought you take it. If it doesn't do anything, you take another one until the pain's gone, right. the anxiety's gone. So I'm kind of like just randomly through the day taking these pills. Right. That night we're having like a going away party for everybody and we're drinking a bunch of whiskey. So I have this conglomerate of pills in my body. I, at that point in the evening, it might have been like from morning to then, probably like four painkillers and maybe eight or six Valiums or whatever. Holy shit. And some alcohol. The, now I'm drinking yeah. and kept taking. And then it, I had a, a period of time where I blacked out. Yeah. And I was still functional. But the, the, the combination of the drugs and the alcohol led me to a place of uh, lack of awareness. And so through that night, I started kind of like falling and vomiting and, and going bad. And my friends saw like pill bottles and we got back to my house and I had the most intense, like painful hangover headache killing me. So then I started taking a bunch of Tylenols. Oh, boy. And having no awareness, like, I'm taking them and kept taking them for a period of hours. Right. So now I'm in this, like, thing of, like, this autopilot came in and I just keep ingesting pills every few minutes, every 20 minutes. I don't know because I wasn't aware of it. Right. And my friends noticed, like, all these pills gone and me on the ground puking. And they called the the paramedics. So I get to the hospital and I, and I'm starting to be aware now, but I'm so like basically drunk from all the chemical and like intoxication that I'm kind of looking like a crazy person. And I'm laughing as they wheel me in going, wow, this is all for me. This is amazing. Um, and, uh, so, so, so whatever. So they get me in there and, and they immediately start feeding me charcoal and they strap me down. Um, so I'm like laughing maniacally like, oh, yeah, it's lucky you're strapping me down because I'm probably so dangerous. Um, 
completely out of my mind and drinking charcoal. And I start puking up the charcoal. So now I've got black stuff all over my face and body, and I can't move to wipe my mouth. Is so the charcoal to provoke vomiting? I, I, I think so. Uh, I think so. I mean, that's Is that my what they mean guess. when they say pump your stomach? They give you charcoal? Probably. Uh, I, I could be wrong. Because I know charcoal would absorb a lot of stuff. And but... I'm sure maybe that was the intent. Uh, but it but worked you're puking, the adverse yeah. effect. Yeah. So I've got black all over. I'm, I'm strapped down and I'm laughing like a crazy person. As the the medical, I mean the, the, the mental psychiatric review people are about to arrive. <laughs> and, 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 You're not making a good first impression, right, Chris. No, and, and honestly like in, in retrospect, all the elements make it look really bad hmm. but I can earnestly say yeah. it wasn't like an intentional thing. I wasn't wanting to die. It wasn't right. a suicide attempt. <clears throat> right. But um, but everything points You can see why they would that think that. Direction. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, ha ha ha, black saliva everywhere, all over my clothes. The nurses decide to start changing me and put me into a hospital gown. So they'd undo one arm, take this shirt off, do it up. So basically, at the point where my pants are down and I'm still like snotting <laughs> charcoal, enter the psychiatric men. And all I can do is laugh and like teary laughter. <laughs> And so they're coming in saying, why do you want to die? And I'm saying, I don't. I had a headache. I don't remember doing it. You know, I don't remember taking all these pills. Um, you know, I was taking them through in the daytime because the doctor told me to take them. And you still have your cast on at this point. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So now that even, like, makes it look worse. Right, Obviously, like you've been like punching walls right. or something. Yeah. <laughs> right. So all, the, all the, the, the mathematic equation points to this is, like, a dangerous guy, right. obviously, to himself. Right. Um, so... <laughs> that, basically, they call my mom in the midst of this state, and she's on the phone. They're making her freak out and cry, and I'm like tr- sounding like belligerent lunatic, saying, "I'm fine. I had a headache. I don't even. I'm not. I'm good. Don't come." She's like, "I want to come. I'm coming." She's in L.A. So L- yeah, yeah, California, yeah. like South. She was in Orange County, and uh, so she come. So, so she wants to come. I'm saying, "No, no, no." They won't release me unless it's to, uh, like, somebody's care. So my best friend at the time, who was my neighbor, comes to Boston, packs me up, and we drive back to to Orange County. So I didn't know this. Yeah. I didn't know this part of the story yeah, yeah. I mean, I generally don't. You drove yeah. back. Yeah. That's a road trip movie right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, especially the lead what a setup. What you I know. know well, coming. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're driving back. So this is what a six, seven day trip or something. Yeah, we actually did it in four. I think oh, so five. We, we were pretty quick. Straight through. Yeah. And um, so Scott comes to pick me up, and we drive back. He's like. A year and a half younger than me. He's, he's been my sort of like little brother-ish. Right. And at this point, you're what, 21, 22? I'm about 20, 21. Yeah. And, uh, and so I uh, we drive, make the drive back. I come back, and my, my mom is a disaster. And she's thinking, like, her son's committing suicide. And I'm an only child. And so and my dad and her had parted when I was, you know, one. And so she, it was our whole life was me and her, right. and whichever guy she had at the time, which was not usually an impressive kind of guy. Um, and so we come back, me and Scott, and my mom's in this kind of tyranny where she's not like coming home much, which is the opposite of her, 
who she was. Mm. She was kind of like in this emotional disarray, and she was kind of upset. And there are a lot more elements of the story, which would take way too long to get into. But, um, but basically, long story short is I came back. She had been married to a guy who she met at one of my skateboard con- contests. And it was this contest. He was one of the judges, and I won. And then she ended up marrying him. And so, and he was. It was a you fix. Know, and and he, he wasn't like the, the most. Um, not somebody you're striving to be like. Right. And uh, he, you know, he wasn't an alcoholic or anything like that, but he. His main passion in life was um, he had been developing this um, off-road windsurfer, like skateboard that had a sail on it with Mm. big tires, and he'd put it on the sand, and he'd roll that way and then turn around and he'd roll back. And this was like kind of what he was going for. It's great if you live in, uh, you know, Death Valley. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So so that was kind of it, and and he didn't ever work. And um, he did like gymnastic things on his skateboard, like into a hands stands and stuff so he'd practice that during the day so he was somewhat productive but um (laughs) and 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 so that was kind of it you know and And he was there and he was there right so my mom was like not there all of a sudden and so i'm stuck with this fucking guy who's heard the story about you trying to kill yourself in boston right and and he was not a big fan of me and i was not a big fan of him yeah so i'm stuck in this house with him and my mom's kind of gone all the time and my um scott is also seemingly not around, hmm. and and he was he lived with his parents two doors down, and so I am like days are passing, and my mom kind of shows up late at night. She's kind of drunk, but she wasn't a drinker, and so everything's off. And it's like what is going on, my mom? And I just thought, well, she really took it to heart that I, you know. Was gonna die, she thought. You know, and so she's and like uncomfortable around you. Or so, so, so now she feels like a failure. No. You know, she she knows like you know the money thing, the this the that, not being there, and maybe she's not. She's a bad mom, hmm. is what she's going through, and like she's about to lose. And she's obviously not happy. She she didn't have a job at this point. She's stuck with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could go into, but I won't. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and, I, um, I feel that. And yeah. her son, like the meaning of her life is like falling apart yeah so i am just stuck there and i realize well i better start going through these bankruptcy papers so so i'm going through the papers and there's this little office in the house and i notice a big stack of receipts and under in out of those receipts was hanging something that said giorgio armani and i thought okay are my credit cards buying somebody expensive clothes? Beanies? Yeah, no, they're, they're, no, no, no. <laughs> was this a beanie purchase? This was not a beanie purchase. So I, I, I'm like, if my credit cards were used to buy that guy, Victor, right. some nice clothes for some shit, like, I'm going to be pissed. Right. So I pull it out, and it's got Scott's name on the top of the receipt, and my buddy neighbor who drove home with me. Yeah. And... And as I looked down, it was like $980 for one outfit. And Scott had no money. He had no job. He was like... Hey, this is your credit card. 17 at the time. And, right. my, and And I assumed that my credit card was paying for it. Right. However, when I got to the bottom, it said paid for by check. Mm. And I had my mom's signature. So at that point... Your mom's buying expensive clothes for your best friend. Right. So I called the bank... And I said, hey, I just want to see, did this check go through my bank? 
because we had a shared account at this time because right. we had no money. Right. And um, it did. So I said, okay. And at that point, I kind of knew. But then I looked more in the receipts, and I found one, another one for him that was for a pager. This was in pager days. There was no cell phones. And so I, I'm looking, and I'm going, okay, I, I got it. That's where she's been. He's not around. I walk over to his house. His mom answers the door. Have you seen Scott? No. Okay. I, she was going to ask me if I'd seen him. Okay, I got it. This is what's happening. So I go back to skateboard guy doesn't know skateboard about guy this. doesn't know he's sitting he's sitting in the house and I and I'm pacing and I say okay I got to get rid of this guy so I start asking him why he's in a relationship with my mom that it's been years he's outstayed his welcome that why would he want to be with her she's not like good to me they're not happy so I basically slowly convinced this man to leave and go start his life and then I and I and it took me a, a day and you're like giving him pep talks like yeah. you can do it buddy that kind of thing yeah what are you waiting for you know every day that you're here is a day your life's not beginning and finally I convince him and I help him load up his um like sky blue Volkswagen bus with his, you know. And he's got to suspect your mom's up to something. She's staying out late. Yeah. She's coming home. Totally. Buzzed. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like a bright guy anyway. Yeah. But um, so I helped load his shit up and he goes. So now, <laughs> I, I, so, so I'm here alone now. And oh my so, God. Okay, this is so insane. What, what I'm now, and this is kind of, in a sense, like where I started to. Uh, understand humor better yeah because everything you had else, to right yeah like, because you're thinking there's a whole nother element to this story which i'll just give a very quick thing just i also had hooked up with a girl from ecuador while i was in berkeley and right. we were hanging out for a very short period of time long story short this is only a few years after my first sexual experience. Right. I think I had had one other girl between this one. Anyway, she says she can't really become pregnant, and um, so we don't have to use protection. As a kid, I'm like, yeah, cool. I didn't get to not use a rubber. And uh, so I did. So I get a call a month later after we were not really seeing each other that she's pregnant and she's back in Ecuador and that she's going to have my my child. So so this happened all at the same time. Holy so, shit. So, what so, up? So, fucking. <laughs> so, I don't think so, this many things have happened to me in my whole life. Yeah. And this it, is like in a few this months. Is in a period of like 2 months. Um oh my god. And and so 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 my so I'm sitting there saying, "Okay, your best friend is hooking up with your mom and you're going to have an Ecuadorian baby. And, like, this isn't really... This is, like, a funny movie thing. This is not, like, what happens in people's lives. And, <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. And so, so I, all of a sudden it became, like, okay, it's got to be funny. I'm going to try to do the best I can. I can get upset here or I can try to make this all fine because right. it's going to get there inevitably. It's right. going to be fine one day. Right. So let's, like, shoot for that sooner rather than later. Yeah. And so something shifted in my head that... Who fucking cares, right? It's your friend, your mom. It's better than the guy that with the windsurfer sailboard. <laughs> like, so, yeah, so, wow, that's a very yeah, man. You took a big step into wisdom right there. Mm. Uh, quickly, well, my brain was too fucked up to do anything else at that right. point. You know, I was coming off of the the hospital thing, and so so basically, what I did is I um, I took the the receipt with the pager and I paged the number. 
And so the, the, the house phone rang, which he knew the number is my mom's number. Right. But it rings, and I pick it up, and he's like, hello? And I said, hey, man, how's it going? And he goes, Chris? I said, yeah, yeah, of course. I said, he's like, oh, hey, how's it going? And Scott's the nicest human being on the planet. I cannot really tell a lie. And he, so he's all choked up. And um, I say, so where you been, man? I haven't seen you. And he said, uh, I, uh, I was, um, I've been busy. I've just been really busy. And I said, oh, okay. Now, he knows, he, at this point, does he know that you paged him? Or is he thinking? He, he doesn't know. He's like, my pager just went off. Right. And it's the house number. Right. So, assumedly, he's with my mom. Right. And my mom's saying, weird. Well, call. See what's up. Right. So, so my projection. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, so... I say, so, oh, did you, did you get a job or what are you doing? He's like, no, I've just been busy with other things. And I said, oh, okay, cool. Well, so you haven't been hanging out with my mom? And then it just went silent. And, and he's like, uh, I, I don't know what you mean. I, I don't know what you mean. I was like, well, it looks like you guys have been doing a bunch of shopping together. So I, I thought maybe you'd been hanging out with her or, you know, because she hasn't been around, you haven't been around. And, He's like, uh, I, no, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Look, I got, I got to go. I got to go. I'll, I'll talk to you later. And I said, all right, well, say hi to my mom for me. And hung up. And, and so that was where we started. And uh, so hours passed that night at 2 in the morning. My mom comes in, and I'm sitting on the couch in the living room. And she walks into the kitchen, which is right next door. She's not looking at me. She's probably a little drunk. And and my mom had never really said a mean thing to me in my life. Like, she was very, very supportive. We had a sordid period of time in, you know, life as young people. And she had me very young. But she was always supportive of me. Hmm. And she came in the house and she's, like, getting stuff in the kitchen and kind of a little bit belligerent. And I, and I said, hi. <laughs> and she said... She turned and she said, I hear what you've been saying and these crazy things that you're thinking. <laughs> oh, really? And I don't know where you're getting these sick uh, thoughts. Maybe you should be in the hospital. Uh, and because I don't want to hear this kind of stuff anymore. And, and I said, <laughs> like, where did you hear it, mom? Right, right. I mean, talk about right. self-incriminating. And I, I said, I said, OK, well, I guess I was wrong. And. And that's one way you could respond, but you could have also laughed and said, oh, my God, I could see why you would think that. Yeah. But this option works, too. Like, you can, re- you know, resent what I said and try to insult me a little bit. And she's like, I can't talk to you. And she left. <laughs> so, so anyway, so, so that was where that is. Then I get a call from the Ecuadorian group. And she's like crying, and she's saying my my parents are being mean. Like, if you know, if, if they're very Catholic and like they they're not happy with me, like doing this. <laughs> so I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And I was like, all right, well, I got a little money. I'll fly there and see if I can help. So you're gonna fly to Ecuador now. So I fly to Ecuador, and I get there, and. The family's like the nicest people in the world, and nobody looks upset at anything. 
and the mom can't speak English, and I have like five words of Spanish at this time, and she's saying these things, and and I'm like hearing the translation. She's like, oh, very, be very happy to have a son that looks like you, and. I was like a son, meaning like my like the baby. No, she's meaning me. Like so, uh-huh. we're gonna get married is kind of what quickly oh, right. was the case. So I was kind of like, what do I? I don't want to get married. And she's a nice girl. We were young, and I'll try to be supportive here, and I'll help out, and want to be a part of the kid's life and all that stuff, but I don't know that I really want to be married and, and have an Ecuador life from here on. So, obviously, I say, okay, sure, let's do this. We'll get married. And so, shortly thereafter, I am standing getting married in Spanish. What? Yeah. I, I, I thought same. you were going to sneak away in the middle of the night or something. Yeah, well, I did after. Oh. Um, but um, so so we get so we're standing there, and it's like there's like hundreds of nuts. hundreds of Ecuadorians at my wedding, <laughs> and I can't talk to anybody. And, and they're and like, you've just, and you've just left this entire shitstorm yeah, yeah. back in L.A. Yeah. Oh my god! And and so and I'm standing there going, what the fuck is that? People are shaking my hand, handing envelopes with cat, like, and it looks very mafia. And and and, and they and they own all these huge shipping things they ship like shrimp and stuff like and all those and 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 tuna like to the states so i'm like all right well okay hi i'll just be nice and yeah. try to do this and like people are doing the macarena this is like macarena. <laughs> and and i'm standing there going this is fucking so surreal i just got married in spanish i don't know anybody here there's no way at my wedding this can't be my and life they're doing the macarena doing the macarena and i was like trying to do it i didn't really know the moves um, so <laughs> So, 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 I mean, this is like the longest story in the world. Hey, but, it's um, great. Tell so, it, brother. It's so, hilarious. So, um, so at the end of the night, we go back to our room and I'm looking at her and she's crying. And because she knows you didn't want to do this. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I say, I don't think we can do this. Like, I want to be here for you. I want to help, but I just don't, this is not. For us right now, I mean, I just went through this crazy stuff, and you want me like to be like here. Oh, she you. knows about the stuff with your mother. And well, she does. Yeah. yeah, she knows that. She knows what happened in Boston. Right. She right. knows everything. I'm like, this is not. We're starting off on a wrong foot, but I'll be a part of whatever. So, whatever challenge, but I leave. And um, it was there's a, there's more to it than that. But yeah, at bet. the end of the day, we we part ways. Like your her family didn't try to stop you or something. Well, I didn't really. We didn't really announce that. You just later took after off. I was back. Yeah, yeah, um, smart. So, but they had money and they're fine. And you know, is it a doorbell? So running. Yeah. So so I come I come back. We part ways, and that's when. I uh, I get offered this tour with Wanda Jackson, and I had no money at the time, nowhere to live. So I was like, "Fucking great! Like I'm gonna go tour for three months." Your hands healed by now. My hands healed. Yeah. And um, so I I go, and um, I have a tour. As I'm on this tour, it, like my mental state kind of is free. I don't have to think about what I'm going to do. I don't have to think about anything. And the clarity of, like, I can't be with the girl 
And I can't, you know, and my mom and Scott, like, great. If they're happy together, great. This is what I'm doing, and it'll be fine. So the tour goes on. I have a few funny stories along the way of the tour, but we won't get into that. And and then, um, um, and I get back, and the the booking agent doesn't pay the band and disappears with the money, so I don't get paid. And I'm stuck back in L.A. and I've been gone for a long time. I don't have anywhere to stay and not many friends, so I um, have only one place to go, to Mom's house. And so I go there, and now Scott is living there. Because his parents kicked him out, was the story. So and the whole thing came to light when you figured it out. His parents heard about it at the same time? No, they were still denying it, uh-huh. that anything was happening. And Scott had a little bed made up in the living room. And and it was, you know, he was going to be, he was staying there for a little bit. Oh, I see. They were not together, as far as I <laughs> they, was They were being still told. playing the charade, yeah. So, yeah. I'm there, days are passing. It's kind of ridiculous. And so I start just kind of, like, kind of pushing at it. And so I said, I was leaving one night, and they were sitting watching TV or something. And and uh, my mom left the room, and, and Scott's making his little bed on the floor. And right above that bed was her bedroom. It was, like, the floor right above. And I said, man... Is it a little bit frustrating? Like, you have to sleep right there. But, like, eight feet over your head is really where you want to be. And he, he just kind of went, uh, like, didn't, he couldn't respond. A few nights later, same thing. But he and my mom were sitting there, and I was going out. And I said, hey, if you guys want to sleep in the same bed, you can. It's okay. You know. So just know that. They both looked at me with a dumb face, like, ah, why would we do that? And uh, I came back that night, and he was not anywhere to be seen. So he right. slept in her bed that night. Right. And that's where it started. But um, then I started, like, every time I'd have friends over at the house, I would start trying to make it light. So I'd introduce, hey, this is my mom, this is my dad, and, 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 and like, and so, so people started to... <laughs> You know, give them oh, humorous, positive attention. Right. So by the end of this, they'd be like, all right, mom, Diffuse good it. job, mom, look right. at you go. Right. So they started to get positive attention from it. Right. And it took a year and a half of that before it was an openly admitted to thing. She was still had too much shame, like she was doing something wrong to admit it. Right. So, so... But then it became the best thing in the world. Like seven years later, I was the best man and giving her away down the aisle because my grandparents are dead. So, you know, and then and then got his parents to support it, like, because they were very much against it. But at the wedding, uh, I kind of, they, they were like isolated and kind of lonely over here and not happy. And during my best man speech, it was said, you know, hey, look, this is actually like a great thing. You know, I couldn't, you know, maybe it seems a little off, but at the same time, who better to be with your mom than your best friend? Because at least you know he's a good guy. 
I said, I just don't want to hear about their sex life anymore. You know, we can't talk about that, which I still heard about for years, unfortunately. From I him was, or from, from him, her? Yeah, because he was, you know, he doesn't have people to talk to like he can talk to me. So he's like talking about how good your mom is and in bed? I, never that part. I, like he never would like talk the good. He would, you know, uh, the challenges more like, oh. over time. <laughs> like, but, you know, um, but, they, but they've been together for 20 years now and it's worked and they're great together. And I love that he's my family, you know, now. And, uh, oh, and I said to the, to the, to the parents during my speech, I said, look, and, and this is even, it works out even better for me because my grandparents are dead. And now I have grandparents again. Right. And so, and so that sort of made them laugh and then everybody started giving them. And now my mom and Scott actually do things with his parents as friends. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So it actually like worked out amazingly, but that was a very long story. So that was an, a fantastic story. I'm really, I'm really <laughs> yeah. glad you told it because i knew the outlines of it you know right. i'd heard bits and pieces yeah but i'd never all the 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 flow of it is just amazing it's kind of surreal but i i've got a couple questions for you yeah okay. one uh did anyone do the macarena at their wedding at at scott and my yeah. mom's way there was no no macarena was done no, no. no. <laughs> macarena ing like yeah. <laughs> ing prohibited <laughs> this is a no macarena zone yeah no uh no macarena ing so and and you've got a child in ecuador mm-hmm. who i just met for the first time in may and she's 18 and got a full scholarship to go to northeastern in boston uh, ironically oh, enough wow. and so now we're friends we talk we text and we took a trip together and um yeah wow so, so it's an interesting dynamic. how does that feel how did it feel to meet her i think i had so much like behind the scenes guilt all right. these years of knowing i'm not like a part of this and did you see like did you get pictures while she was I, growing I up were you still in touch with her occasionally, mom occasionally but uh-huh. it was kind of like she actually asked me not to call for a while because she it was hard for her right thinking maybe we would get together or something and um so i didn't for a long time i mean i did get a picture now and then but um so going into it was kind of you know anxiety filled but yeah. um but the minute we met we went for a walk and the walk ended up being for hours and we didn't want to do anything else but just kind of walk mm-hmm. and i kept being like well it's like one in the morning maybe you should you want to go back she's like no i don't need to sleep you know and where were you Walking around Manhattan Beach because oh. um, she was there at a hotel with her mom, like looking at colleges, and uh, so it was. It was one of those strange things. It's super surreal where you look at someone and every little ounce of utterance that would come from her vocabulary or her gestures, I had absolute understanding of every insecurity she felt, every mm. ism that she had. I, you know, it's like knowing right away, here's all the answers that you need that I can give you, but it will be irrelevant, but I can feel and see everything that you are. And she looks more like my side of the family. And she has all these weird little isms just like me. Like, I couldn't take a pill like my whole life. I had a big gag reflex, which is funny leading up to where I took the pills because I still at that time was a 
challenged at swallowing. <laughs> you overcame your handicap. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And so she had the same thing. Like she couldn't. She can't, really can't swallow a pill. Wow. Um, so uh, there's all these strange yeah. similarities, and it's cool. I mean, it's surreal, and I, I kind of have to do it on her time and her pace sure. because she's an adult now and it's for her to choose whether she wants more time with me or less or you know i mean i know when i was that age when my dad started trying to hang out with me i didn't really want him to right. and so it's a different scenario because he did try along the way and failed a bunch where i didn't really have any major fuck-ups with her directly right. as opposed to just being absent. Right. Um, and her mother presumably wasn't telling her what an asshole you were her whole life. I don't think so. Yeah. I, I think she was pretty great about it. Yeah. Um, Sounds like it. Sounds yeah. like she sort of understood yeah. that it wasn't going to happen from the beginning and you were just trying. Yeah. I, I think to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> incredible dude incredible stuff i mean we uh, there are so many things i want to talk to you about what, <laughs> another question i had for you uh, about that story i mean like i i'm not kidding when i said it's not just because you're in you know hollywood and all this stuff that i see a, a incredible movie there you know because there's i mean it, it's it's got the road trip component it's got all sorts of crises and and you know recoveries yeah. and transformations it's and a, coming, a positive ending it's a coming of age story the the ending couldn't be more positive and also more surprising right. you know you do not see that this kid comes from being strapped to a gurney in boston <laughs> to essentially like bringing permission to love into his mother's life right and his best friend yeah and and that it makes sense you know it's not like you're some jesus figure it's like as you said at the wedding like well i know this guy he's a great guy he's my best friend yeah and i know my mom i love my mom and and even though this it's actually i mean you said he was 17 when they met so it was actually illegal it was he was almost 18 almost 18 yeah, yeah. so i mean on the cusp of being right. you know technically illegal i'm sure they waited to do it of course so, they did yeah. of course yeah. but uh but the point is that it, it's definitely like straining all the sort of social conventions and blah blah right. blah but on another level it makes perfect sense you know it's like i was talking to a guy yesterday about this and we, we were talking about how like when you um, become non-judgmental, like truly non-judgmental, then all sorts of stuff reveals itself to you that nobody yeah. else sees. You know, like you know, I, I was talking about uh, how I was very young. I was in college the first time uh, a man sat down with me and said, "Listen, you know, my wife really likes you, and if you want to sleep with her, it's cool." <laughs> right. You know, and that's happened a lot. And I've had mothers say, I no, wish you would sleep you with my daughter. Crazy karma like this. It's well, it's but, I mean, I think you do, too. And I, I think the reason is that people sense like this person's not going to condemn me for what I'm about to say. Right. And so stuff yeah. flourishes in that kind of environment because it's allowed because it's allowed. And the thing is, it's there. It's there. And, and you're not seeing it is waiting and hoping and wanting to be able to be that and to be right. where they are and to, right. and to be accepted for that. And yeah. At the end of the day, that that's it. We all are, 
we're still the little kids that we are. Mm. And the little kid really just fucking wants to know that he or she's okay right. and that, that you're going to love me. Right. That's it. That's the fucking core. Yeah. Or at least not hate me or hurt right. me. Or, yeah. or tell me that yeah. I'm wrong or bad for yeah. being this. Right. Um, and, and yeah, like in, in a sense, like it's, it's funny, but with, with their relationship, like, I mean, it, it sounds totally egocentric to say it this way, but in the, in its essence, it was my potential demise that bonded them together. The, the thought of me dying, the thought of losing me and, and, being in this kind of scenario, oh, right. my mom started to kind of go crazy. And who was there when she walked out the door? I heard the story. She walked out the door crying, heading to her car. Scott was playing in the street with kids. <laughs> and, and Stick ball. Yeah, like, <laughs> and was worried and went to her. She was like belligerently getting into her car. And he's like, hey, what's wrong? Are you okay? Are you okay? And she was not okay. And he got in the car with her and drove away. Dude, and that's, was that's her another amazing level to moment. this. Yeah. It's the shared love of you that really allowed them to connect with this deep emotional truth. Yeah. And then through the course of it, I sort of had to be a, a, like a proactive conduit to like... L- making it be okay. Right. Because if I didn't make it okay, my mom would have lived in shit for right. too long. Right. And so so I, she almost like needed my forcible permission to know that she wasn't bad for doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was more than permission, though, because you also cleared skateboard guy out of the picture. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which she had presumably been trying to do in a sort of passive aggressive totally. way for months and totally. he wasn't getting it. Yes. So yeah. you, you so you plowed the ground and allowed this thing to flourish. You, you I mean it's yeah, it's it's a beautiful story. So now one thing I'm I'm wondering about is this road trip and the kind of conversations you two were having on this road trip. Yeah, I mean and him flying out. So he's already in a relationship with your mom when he flies out. I don't out. know how far it had gone. I think it really, like, you know, flourished upon my return. Oh. I think it started. Oh, so it was in the early days when yeah. they were. Okay. Yeah. So that. that so, right. so I don't think it was, like, completely bonded prior to my return. Right. But the credit card or the, the receipts. Show there was some history right around there. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow, yeah. dude, that that is that is such a beautiful story. I mean, the funny thing, I'm trying to remember the road trip, and I think I was so out of it that mm. um, I only really remember one moment, and it's not even there's no significance to it at all. We were in this U-Haul, and I was asleep, and he was driving, and it was the middle of the night. And I guess he had just stopped to get a coffee, and so the coffee was on the dash, and 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 he was trying to like somehow he got on this little road off the highway, and there was like a ravine on both sides, and as I opened my eyes, he was like backing forth and, and trying not to go into the ravines right. to make do a U turn, and when he did it, his coffee spilled on me, and I woke up kind of screaming, and the only thing that he said was. Shit, my coffee. 
Like, like, <laughs> like, so, so that, 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 that's the only thing I really, really remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, d- doing a U-turn with a U-Haul on the back can get confusing, you know, because no, no, it, it goes the opposite way. Of, yeah, yeah. It, 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 was, it was not a good, I don't know how he got into that situation, <laughs> but I, I kept saying, how did you get, why did you decide to U-turn here? Like, you just keep going, man. Anyway. Well, I wonder if there is some sort of cinematic uh, resonance of, with that. You know, like, yeah. how did you get into this situation, right. man? He must have been thinking that. Like, like right. how did I, like, I've got my best friend next to me asleep. Right. And yeah, I'm, there's uh, a symbolism uh, in there. And, like, I'm going to try to U-turn. But, but I don't know how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a train could be coming. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, thanks for sharing that story. Yeah, man. man. I, I mean, it's really long to story. have no but it's good to have it all down you know yeah that's and, and, the only documented version of that story well yeah it'll be available for future historians <laughs> biographers of chris james um so okay so let, let's let's move yeah, ahead move a little bit so you okay so you're you finished the tour you're back in la you're you've got a lot of friends who are actors and yeah i mean i gotta say like chris is the first time you and i went out you and I, we we went somewhere in Hollywood. We went to, went to that that uh, that Mexican place on uh, is it on Sunset or Hollywood Boulevard? Oh yeah, that funny place like yeah. Cabo. Yeah. Cabo. It yeah, looks like, like a, a goofy, beach shack like, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we went in there. I don't know if it was there or we went somewhere for a beer afterwards. But I remember a couple of times. Like people walking by, and I could hear them say, "That's Chris James." No, 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 seriously, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, no, I didn't say anything because oh. I figured, you know, that, that would be uncool. <laughs> yeah, I'd be one of them, and you know, that's I'd so just, funny. I didn't know anybody. All I thought was, I got to get me a beanie, oh. but yeah, that didn't work either. <laughs> um, but anyway, you're you're like, you know, you know a lot of people in in the business in Hollywood and all that, so it's sort of a natural transition for you to get into into acting, I guess. Yeah, I mean the act. Acting is what I started and I forced my way in before I knew anybody. And then, but like that was at 16, 17. And the place that I lived in was with Jason Lee, who became a big actor over right. time. And Scott became famous as a drug addict and singer. And, uh, and, and I started working. So like by the time I was 17, Jason Lee, Bruce Jason, Lee's no, Jason Lee was like, my name is Earl. Oh, you know? oh okay. He, right. An actor. Right. Um, Anyway, he, uh, so, I, I, you know, I was meeting those people growing up here and, um, and yeah, over time you just meet people and people, you know, get successful and, and stuff right. like that. And so it's really just uh, from being a product of this place. Right. Um, and staying in it, like most people come and go, right. but when you stay, you, you just uh, over time know people. And, and so I had already worked as an actor and then, um, really the knowing people is what pushed me into directing. Um, because I had these resources, I could right. like use these actors and so I could write things for them and, and do that. Was you did a film called for the memory of in, my in father, memory of my father, in memory of my father. Yeah. yeah. That was my first movie. And really like the last movie that I've made that was like mine where i wrote it and produced right. it and directed and that it. was what you're talking about that was an ensemble yeah. cast of yeah. people you knew and yeah yeah it was kind of like a little accident like um 
this guy that I was ghostwriting for was living in a mansion that used to be Samuel Goldwyn's mansion. And he said, I'm going to sell the house, and I'd love to make some sort of a movie in it before I leave so we have a document of, of the house if you can come up with an idea. But you got to hurry because I'm selling it in two months. So I was like, oh, shit. And then I came up with this idea. I, I wrote a script in four days just thinking of the people I knew that I could quickly throw together. We all read it. He liked it and said, all right, cool. Let's make it. I'll give you 30 grand. And it's like, oh, what? what do you do with 30 grand? So the only way I could do it for that was to figure out a way. I shot it in four days using three cameras. And um, it was kind of like just, okay, well, we'll just do this. And I'm sure it won't turn out well. And somehow it turned out really funny. And then it won a bunch of film festivals. And it kind of projected me into where I would get paid to do something. Right. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. I don't know if you sent me – I don't remember if I downloaded it illegally or you sent me a DVD so. or something, yeah. but I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't remember where or how, but yeah. I, I saw it and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I remember there's like an old guy dying upstairs. Or? Yeah, basically I had ended up spending – where the idea came from is I had spent a summer at Bob Evans' house. and Bob Evans, Bob Evans? He used to be – he got put in charge of, of Paramount when it was dying, and he was kind of like going to be the scapegoat, but he he ended up coming up with Rosemary's Baby, Love Story, Godfather, ah, Chinatown. Holy and, shit. you know, Jack Nicholson now, like, pays his mortgage. You know, they're, like, tight, and he gave him a lot of his career. And, ah. and so now Bob is, like, this legend, but still speaks of himself as a legend. And he wears, like, a mirrored cone to keep his face tanned and, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So he's, like, this amazing character that's just fun. To, oh, and he like, played the father? He did not play oh. the father, but the idea... I had was hypothetically it's the day that he dies and he thinks it's going to be historically important so he bribes his son to document his death oh thinking, that's right because I remember you're on camera shooting yeah so it's a film within a film yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but but the point is that my character and Jeremy Sisto, who plays my brother, and a guy named Matt Kiesler, who plays the other brother, were equally narcissistic as he is. So kind of forget to make the film <laughs> along the way because we're caught up with He'll our never know, relationship right? issues. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so it's a bit of a Macbeth thing, too, going on. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, like, so the one brother, so the dad has a girlfriend who's Judy Greer, who's gone on to have a big career. And, um, and, and so she comes in and finds him dead. And as the day progresses, it becomes like a very masochistic sort of party right he's awake right. and everybody's dealing with their relationship problems and some people are on drugs and some so he and the dad's girlfriend ended up getting stoned in the bed next to dad yeah, i dead. remember this and then yeah. they end up hooking up um <laughs> so in the room so it's like that kind of yeah yeah kind of a little irreverent a family film a family yeah. film yeah, yeah. take the kids yeah, yeah. to drive in special right yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so is that still available people want to check that out yeah is there yeah a way to find i mean it? like you, you know is it you on can, netflix or anything it is available on netflix and amazon and i mean i, I have so many copies in the garage you know i'll send you <laughs> send me all, an email I'll, like, I'll forward it yeah, to chris yeah totally i can send you a link to watch it too oh yeah. oh that's even easier <laughs> yeah all right. yeah i'm not really looking to cash in so yeah, yeah. um yeah so uh yeah if anybody wants just oh, I'll send cool. them a link. very cool um, yeah make a donation to the podcast you'll get a, a signed <laughs> copy of uh what is it a yeah. dvd yeah well if i sign it it'll probably take the value away to resell it so um, <laughs> is, oh you think they're gonna resell it for <laughs> yeah, a lot of money i would um yeah, yeah. I mean, at least four or five bucks you can get on yeah if you resell it yeah but um yeah so that was kind of it and then 
after that, it was like years of like random shit, you know, where mm. I'd get hired to write something, I'd get hired to rewrite something, I'd get hired to fix a movie that was in post, like that that was unreleasable, or um, people would hire me a bunch to develop new shows, mm. and um, and so I pretty much haven't done much of my own stuff because I kept just taking money jobs right um i I have this past the past five or six years i started working every day with who is my best friend a guy named jordan beckett and um so we've developed a bunch of scripts and tv shows you know um i have a a movie that i've developed which is about the greek revolution against the turkish empire in 1821 which was stimulated by a guy named nick lambro who is so passionate and and it's really like coming to fruition like there's a graphic novel being made now so there are a bunch of things um and this tv show called love gift which is about the it's totally uh hypothetical it's fiction but it's about the most successful televangelist family in kind of a sopranos tone interesting Um, have you sold that um there's companies that want to make it but there's been no selling right so so, you know, so there's been a bunch of shit the past years that we've started to develop. You were and working on, last time we talked, you were working on something with, like, a scam charity kind of thing? Oh, yeah. That's a that's another TV show. Um, Did that take that, off? Because that no, was a great idea. It's, it's still, you know, gestating. It, you had a, a, a sizzle reel or something for it, didn't you? Yeah. 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 Um, so there's a script and, like, there's an interested company in that. But with TV, like, unless you have, like, a superpower hitter come in it's such a slow process where you're just fishing yeah um and i I don't have any like massive tv i've directed a bunch of tv but i haven't like made a a successful produced show so um so yeah so there's that i did um i directed a movie with david arquette and then he and i became really close friends and then he brought me on to produce a a travel show that he'd sold the travel channel and so we got paid to go travel around a bunch and then they never released the show oh really which which was obvious when we're shooting it it was like not gonna oh. probably work but it was really fun to hang out with david yeah and and uh, see, what if his sisters is on boardwalk empire now oh really uh, roseanne, roseanne yeah, i think or yeah, patricia I, I can never patricia? remember i don't know, I don't know. Yeah. I haven't watched yeah but i was surprised show. i hadn't seen her in a long time yeah. and and she plays uh, like a saucy southern barkeeper in yeah. boardwalk empire it's good she, she's good it's cool I, I mean i've met most of his brothers and sisters and it, they're just kind of an amazing group of people and david's one of the best hearted humans i've ever Mm. met you know we were shooting an episode of of the show in in new orleans and uh you know he just he goes up to on the street to anybody doing something interesting and just like gives them so much appreciation and validation and there was a street dancer and uh a few weeks later he was opening a club called bootsies in hollywood and i went to the opening and that dancer was there and david brought him out to come to the club you know he does things like that for people right that's cool more than anyone i've ever seen and that's you know i love it when i see that kind of thing where where, whether it's fame or or whatever it is that money or whatever that when someone who's got a lot of a certain resource takes pleasure in using it to help people and that's (laughs) he does that the only way than anybody I've ever seen in my life. That's real wise. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And so now talking about, about wisdom, last time you and I got together, you were r- deeply immersed in this dolphin thing. Yeah. Is that still happening? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I see. I'm looking at your face. It looks like you've got mosquito bites. Were what? you were you just in Florida? No, that, no. that's just some kind of a 
skin defect. Oh, that's it's, just it's, one. It's not, it's just it's one. not oozing not, green not pus bites. or anything. There's one little, you have to point out the one flaw right here. There's on one flaw. That's right. Yeah. It's like Marilyn Monroe's yeah. mole. You yeah. know, it makes you more beautiful, that Chris. Means don't worry. Yeah. That's nice to put it like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's a scab because it was something I tried to squeeze oh. and didn't want to be squeezed. That'll teach you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, sometimes it's, you know, the squeeze works out and yeah. sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Squeeze. If it's really a hard squeeze, you got to pick the moment. It's got to be ready. It's got to be right for yeah. the, the, the zit popping. That's important. Yeah. 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 You totally. can't, you can't pop a zit before it's time. No, no, you need to steam it. And I love when people tell you, I'll put a compress on it. Oh, really? Like, I love that thing. Like when you have like a goiter <laughs> on your face or something like it's like right between your nose or something, they grow uh, in a oily place. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just put a compress on it. It's like, that doesn't fucking sit. So I sit here with a hot thing on my face. It doesn't bring it to the surface. No. Because those things really don't have anything that want to come to the surface. They just need time to to do what they're going to do and they go away. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've used uh, witch hazel. Uh, did that work for you? Yeah, because it dries. It's an astringent. It dries the skin. Yeah, and toothpaste, right? Oh, Putting really? Toothpaste. toothpaste. That's, a, that's a woman trick I've heard. Yeah. 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 I, I thought it was good for me, so I just put it all over. Yeah. <laughs> that's why you smell so minty fresh. <laughs> that's right. <Yeah. laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah. No, I've got a bad relationship with toothpaste um, because I've got yellow teeth. And wow. Yeah. I, I was once complaining about it with a dentist and he was like, well, he said, look at it this way. You've got as much melanin in your body as anyone else. It's just all in your teeth. I'm like, oh, thanks. That's why I'm pale and have yellow teeth. That I appreciate that. Thank you, doctor. Yeah, and it makes you sound even more sexy. Like. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Amazing. Women love yellow teeth. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think they've already made their choice about you that they want to have sex with you before they've seen you open your mouth. So they've already, they're already in. So, well, yeah, but there are deal breakers. You don't want to. I, mean, I guess there can be. You but I mean, I'm careful. looking at you and I don't notice. So you're, yeah, I don't, it's not like well, yeah. they're glaring. I mean, they're not that yellow. at my face. But it's not. like, you know, whitening toothpaste isn't going to do it. No. You know, it's because no. they are naturally yellow. It's not like a, you know, a tea it's stain a or something. Yellow. So yeah. it's like an ethnic thing. <laughs> Sorry, my teeth are, are Latino. <laughs> I've got Latino teeth. Uh, anyway, so so dolphins. Where dolphins. With dolphins. So, okay. uh, yeah, last time I talked to you, you were, like, spending – and also I follow you on Instagram. So I see all these, you know, there here I am swimming with right. this dolphin who loves me. And then there's the, there's the yeah. baby dolphin I mean, who loves me. I mean, I don't me. ever say that the dolphin loves no, me. No, but you can see it in their it, eyes. You, I can or their eyes. In the blank. Yeah, yeah, in their one eye because it's hard to get both in yeah, the picture. It's hard to, yeah. Yeah. yeah, every um, every dolphin shot's like a profile. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how much the dolphins love me, but I think I like to think that they like me at least. Mm. Um, it's it's uh, it's pretty amazing. It's it's amazing. Um, I, I was having one of those nights where you start questioning, what the fuck am I doing? Like I keep doing these jobs and working on projects that are not, have nothing to do with me. And I don't even like them when I'm done, but I just keep taking the check and doing it. And, um, and so it was like, what do I want to make a movie about? And I, and I've always, you know, I grew up in the water and when I was a little kid, I Mm. wanted to like 
be making movies and hang and and be a dolphin trainer. Those were like as a kid, those things. You know, when I was like five. Or right. Something. This um, is before you'd heard of John Lilly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Before John Lilly's amazing work, um, uh, acid and sex with dolphins, which was very effective. Um, yeah, he was he was masturbating them. Yeah. To to build a relationship. And if that works, that's great. But he also actually was the guy that that figured out that dolphins are conscious breathers by killing a few by trying that's right. to he put anesthetized them, them yeah he, he tried to yeah. anesthetize them to do brain research and they died yeah and so he came to the conclusion that they're conscious breathers yeah so unlike us we we breathe when we fall asleep yeah they don't yeah and don't dolphins like only half their brain sleeps at a time they, they have their 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 brain hemispheres are are separate enough to where one sleeps while the other one is alert. Maintaining breathing. And yeah. A heartbeat as well? I don't know about that, but huh. I, I'm pretty sure, like, the, I mean, the breathing and the heartbeat go together to a, cent, to a degree. Yeah. I'm just wondering if they were, if he anesthetized them uh, with their blowholes above, uh, and he was, like, um, you know, on a breathing machine, I wonder if their hearts would stop. Well, anyway. No, eventually, like, they built a breather. So, so, so that's uh, how so they do it So he could anesthetize them. Okay. That's how they do it now when oh. they have to. But they do try to avoid anesthetizing dolphins. I've filmed some surgeries, and, and in all, all scenarios, they try to not anesthetize because um, it's just really complicated and dangerous. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, so, so I found this story uh, online uh, about a, a woman named Dina Hoagland and her son, Joe. And Joe was born with a heart defect and came out and basically went right into surgery. And it was a, it's a pretty rare disease that is very fatal. Like most, I think back when it happened in, in the late eighties or whenever he was born, I think it was 87. Um, I think the, the surgery had been done something like 10 times in Colorado and like nine times the was not successful yeah. like a hundred times in the country something like this I, I don't remember the exact numbers but um so joe survived and then i'm going to get some of these numbers wrong that i'm just going to get the point across and tell the story sure. so let's just say when he was six or something he was having his fifth open heart surgery and during that surgery he had a stroke and went paralyzed so now he had the heart problem and a stroke and his brain was affected and his body he couldn't move his left side his right side barely and it was not looking good and everybody kind of ruled him out and the doctor said well you know he should be in a place where people are taking care of him dina didn't want that and uh because she would try and it was not effective and joe was not happy with it and so they said okay well you at least need to move to a lower climate you know something at sea level so there's not pressure on his heart so they moved to florida and Long story short, she stumbled upon what in 1990 was the first um, swim with dolphins place in Key Largo. And she thought, oh, well, he likes looking at animals and he likes fish and things. So let me, uh, maybe he'll like to look at the dolphins. So she, she brought him there and sat him down on the dock. And this one dolphin beelined over and popped up out of the water and started squeaking in his face and he started laughing for the first time in a year. And so she started crying. <laughs> and she's like, can I bring him back, please? So while they were there, he's sitting on the dock and his left leg is, you know, extended and locked 
and you know, so his foot is pointed, and his right foot is sitting up. And the dolphin put its nose on the right foot, and then put its nose on the left foot, and straightened it. And so they were watching this, going, you know, wow, mesmerized. And all of these different elements started occurring where the dolphin seemed to stimulate an awareness of Joe's condition and motivated him to use that left leg, to use that left arm. He wouldn't... uh, and, And then the mom, seeing this, Dina, started saying things like, okay, so the dolphin wants to play with you, but he's a left-handed dolphin, so you have to feed him with your left hand. So that night, she finds Joe in his room talking to his hand, saying, open, close, open, close. And in over the next course of about a year and a half, this tactic worked, and he had a basic full recovery. And he's now 27. He lives on his own. He drives. He's a therapist at the nonprofit organization, which Dina now runs, where dolphins do therapy with children with brain disorders and defects, as well as uh, war veterans with PTSD. And I found the story. I went there, kind of became a part of their family, and now... You know, now like I'm a part of controlling their trust because we're like we're family, and mm. um, and I love them so much, and and so I've been developing the movie around this story for the past whatever six months or so, and I've I've been going there now for about a year, and um, and it's amazing, you know, I. There's a baby dolphin who's now a year and a half that I've known since he was born named Tashi, and that's the one in the videos that you saw me with. And and you start to create a relationship with them, and, and you start to see your own psychology presented to you in some strange way by them. I remember you talking about that last time we were together, how, how you – I don't remember the, the exact uh, story, but you had – there was something like – there was a female dolphin that was yeah. getting into you, and then yeah. the male got – uppity and yeah what was that story well um okay so uh and it's around the baby right when the when the baby dolphin was born yeah Yeah, so i was spending a lot of time in the water with um tashi the baby and um and the baby and the mom and so sometimes she would just kind of want to have a love fest with me and like (laughs) lay her body on my shoulder and not do anything and just kind of have huggy moments and and they'll kind of push the other dolphins away to kind of have you on their own right now it wasn't overtly sexual there was nothing like because they say there is all sorts of stuff they are very sexual they are very sexual and and the the male that we're talking about now, Bob is his name. He, <laughs> Bob. He, yeah, Bob he's, the dolphin. Yeah. He's actually extremely sexual, and you know when we're getting in the water with the with other women like Dina and whatnot, Bob immediately is like up for it, and you have to kind of do certain behaviors to make him realize it's not going to happen. He's got like you dolphin know? wood. Yeah, yeah. Really? He, he uh, there are times where you see dolphin wood. But um, sometimes more than others. But, uh, yeah. So so this is happening. I'm in the water. Like, I'm keeping him from, like, getting with the women. I'm hanging out with his – I mean, they're all Oh, you're cock-blocking a dolphin. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> so, so, and, it, and it is a little nerve-wracking. 
I, what, <laughs> I'll bet because they could fuck you up. Totally, they it totally could. And um, oh man, and so you know, so I'm hanging out with the you know the mother of his child. Even though like he hooks up with every dolphin in the place, it's like it's just the uh, fact that. But I'm, that's his number one baby there. Yeah, yeah, not really. He's, is he, he like a dolphin all. pimp? He's just the man. That's it. He gets do all the women. Do dolphins do that? Is there like an alpha male? Is yeah. it a wolf kind of thing? Yeah, totally. Like yeah. you can't it, – it's very challenging at times to have like multiple males in the same area mm. if there's a bunch of females. Mm. So, yes, they, they do stake their claim. Mm. Um, but They haven't the, read Sex of Dawn. Apparently. They have not. Yeah. Like, But yet they – I think – they also, you know, it's not uncommon that the males sleep with the females. Like only half the brain at a time. Partners, yeah, yeah, yeah. like all of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, it's so, true. And I've read there, there's also like coerced sex, and there, there's all sorts yeah. of like dolphin oh, yeah. sex can get no, 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 nasty. No. Like it is. Like he will like impose it on right. the, the girls, and they're like, "Come on, trying to get away," and he's like, "I just need to do it," you know. Yeah. But um, so yeah, so anyway, the, the, it was just this moment, and and. Uh, and I was swimming, and he, I turned and I looked, and he came up to me, and he like squared his body off, like directly in front of me, straight up and down, and just like looked at my face about two feet away. And it was one of those moments because the majority of your experience is kind, and and I could not discern, like. Are you facing off with me? Are you kind of trying to make a statement here? Or are you just checking me out and saying, hey, what are you doing? So he's vertical. He's vertical. And I'm basically almost vertical. Uh, and he's how, how big is he? I mean, he's big. He's, I mean, uh, hundreds of pounds. I don't know exactly. But, he, you know, he's probably like, uh, uh, he's probably 10 feet. Maybe a little less than so that. So he's a lot bigger than you. He's significantly bigger. And he's wide and thick. Hard yeah, and yeah. swims totally. fast oh, and yeah. has no. lots of teeth. No. And and one time, just prior to that, he did, like, take his nose and, like, knock my my wrist. And, and it was this tiny little movement, but I felt it like it was like, whoa. It yeah. was like a... It was a knock. And it, funny thing is... After that, I went back and I've been with him again. And I don't think he would ever do anything aggressive towards me. Because I was sitting on the dock and I was talking. And all of a sudden I feel this like knock on my leg and it's him. It's like, hey, come on, hang out with me. Yeah. And But he, they show your psychology to you. And... I created that moment more than he did by deciding, is he kind of having a thing with me as opposed to him checking me out and me grabbing a toy and playing with him? Hmm. Because I guarantee if I got this thing and I threw the ball, he would have gone after the ball. Hmm. But instead, and I could tie that back to my childhood where there was this guy who's now dead from liver cirrhosis who was sort of... Uh, an unwanted father figure from the time I was like uh, 
you know, six or seven to 13 who didn't work. And he was a big alcoholic and, and he didn't really like me. And my mom worked and paid for everything and he didn't work. And he ate fucking like cheese puffs and yelled at the TV watching sports all day and stank like alcohol. And he had a belly and a mullet. And, um, um, and, you know, and, and there, you paint a picture and then there was, and there were these moments when I would come home from school, my mom would still be at work and he would kind of have a face off with me like that in the kitchen. And he'd say things like, when you're 18, we're going to fight like Uh. stuff like this. And so in retrospect, I looked at it and I was like, that made me feel that. Right. And it doesn't have to be that way. Right. So, you know, if, if you have the awareness and you have the connection with the dolphins, you, you can start to see what you are imposing upon yourself. Yeah, they, they make an amazing mirror. Yeah. 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 Now, do, do they recognize you? I mean, you're sure that he knows it's you? Um, with Bob, I don't think he gives a shit. He's really like aloof and doesn't care. Right. He so just some other sex. dude there, he would have been like, hey, come play with me, whoever it, you are. Maybe. Uh. Maybe. But like the – I know with the, the mom and the baby, um, they seem to recognize me. At this point, because they know each other through, uh, they have calls, right? And they have signature yeah, yeah, yeah. names. Yeah, sounds, yeah. yeah. So you're not capable of making those sounds, and it's not like a dog knows your smell, right? So I wonder how they would recognize you. I, I, they're visual, I know, but they're I don't visual, know how visual. They do echo. I know they, they like, they like scan your body and stuff and all yeah. that weird shit. And they have a, a, a an area of the brain that we don't have, which is just about processing emotional content. So I, I I do think, like when I go to the pool, it's not a pool, it's the ocean, but um, it, it it's it's obvious that Tashi, the baby who's known me since he's been born, immediately comes to me. Yeah. Immediately. So there's some way he knows it's you. Yeah. Yeah. And and Squirt, the mom, it's the same when I've been there. We have moments together where she continues to kind of connect with me in that way or, like, get close to me. Where the other female, Bella, who I've hung out with plenty, like, doesn't really come to me that much, mm. you know. So so the ones you have connections with, they do bring you in. And they do remember you over the course of time. You know, right. for me, it's been a year and a half. And right. it was not like that the first couple of right. visits, but right. the last couple of visits it has been. Yeah. So there's something, some cumulative recognition. Yeah. So I, I just recently saw Blackfish. Have you seen yeah. that film? Uh-huh. And I was thinking, when I was watching that film, I was thinking about you and, and your involvement with the dolphins. Are, you know, you said they're in the ocean, it's, but they're in captivity. They're in captivity. Yeah. They're in the ocean. Um, here, here's the thing when it, where it comes with, with captivity is, like anything... It's really easy to, like, take a side of, like, that's bad because you have them in your possession and they want to be in the wild. And, of course, that is true to some degree. But on the other hand, it's, you know, this dolphin that I told you about, um, the one that the little kid Joe had the whole experience and was basically healed from. Yeah. When he died, it was revealed in an autopsy 15 years later that he had a similar heart defect as the kid did. Oh. And he couldn't have survived in the wild. And so that's why that dolphin was swimming alone in the harbor and 
was attracted to be there because he couldn't fend for himself. That's an interesting twist. Right. So you can go however you want with that belief, but in reality, it's completely illegal to go and take a dolphin or a whale out of the ocean. Mm. It's been illegal for a long time. So of all the animals in captivity, none of them have been acquired in the past 25, 35 years. They've all been born in captivity. And what I can say is this, is every time there's a stranding, every time there's an oil spill and somebody goes out to help whales and dolphins, it's really fucking expensive. Yeah. Who's paying for that? It's it's these organizations. It's it's the Sea Worlds. It's the aquariums. It's the marine mammal societies. It's all of these places that put millions and millions of dollars into research to keep their animals healthy. So they're the only ones that are paying for research, and they're the only ones with the resources to implement any kind of conservation tactics and any type of like saving things that man fucks up. So. They take all of their resources and they go fix shit and they do all the work. And they're not taking anything from captivity, from the ocean and putting it in captivity at this point in time. Right. And if they do, it's to rescue something. So they're rescuing something that's going to die. Mm. They bring it in, spend a shitload of money fixing it. And then there are certain animals that you have to put back and other animals that you're not allowed to put back. Mm. So you, you, can't, you can't take these animals and let them go now. It's, that is illegal. It's like these people, uh, like PETA, when they go in and liberate um, you know, mink or something. That right. They have no idea how to hunt. And, they, they li- and they're like, oh, now there are 10,000 mink running the, around yeah. Sonoma County or something. Right. <laughs> right. You know, getting hit right. by cars. So and, it's, ig- it's, yeah. it's a lot of ignorance. The... The argument is heartfelt, and the argument right. is correct. Certainly, yeah. But, but when it's it bigger butts than up that. against reality, it, yeah. It's so much bigger than that. And all of these people who care about whales, dolphins, and whatnot, the majority of them care about them because they spent time... At SeaWorld. <laughs> at SeaWorld, yes. Yeah. They spent time... Yeah, it's so complicated. ...watching yeah. uh, Flipper... Yeah. They spent time at an aquarium. So their relationships come from the conservation tactics. Now, you want to take the argument further, you can say, yeah, but they're fucking making them like perform and do these stupid tricks and all this shit. Right. Okay, so it's better to like put them in the zoo where they where just they sit, sit there and look bored. fucking miserable. Exactly, right. Is that a better yeah. option? Out. So, or is it a better option to embrace the creatures where you can stimulate their mind give them a sense of belonging have a relationship make them have care make them have love make them understand their existence and expand what they are as opposed to sit there so people can fucking look at them yeah so you can go however you want with the argument i don't disagree with the heart behind the argument of captivity but it's so much more complex and layered than that that yeah. that you're talking out your fucking ass when you start to say because yeah. take like whatever free fucking willy he he couldn't be alone yeah he couldn't be alone yeah 
So you, you're saying, oh, yeah, and he doesn't belong to a pod. He's not going to go out and just join some pod willy nilly. Nobody wants yeah. them. Yeah. So, so your options are: let's shut down all of the conservation places that are spending all the money keeping these things alive and going, and making people care about them. Yeah. Let's shut them all down, and then let's anesthetize every animal that they have because they can't survive in the wild. Right. So is that the right way? Yeah, it's it's complicated. There's there's a place in Texas, some ranch in Texas, where they've got um, uh, lots of uh, rare African species. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, the way they fund it is you can pay ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars and go in and shoot one. Oh God! Right. So, and their argument is. We've got more. We are doing more to preserve the existence of these species than anyone else in the world. Right. All right. Now, if you want to freak out that hunters are allowed to come in and shoot them occasionally, you can. But that's where our funding comes from. So, I mean, it is a real conundrum how to deal with these things. That's the truth with everything in our existence. (sighs) It's kind of gotten there, hasn't it? Anything good has both sides. Yeah. And, Yeah. And sadly... People take these strong-armed arguments against things, and usually it, it's 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 incomplete. Right. And, but yet, at the same time, the argument keeps the places in check. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the yin and the yang, man. So, okay, uh, just just not to be a glutton, yeah. But just because I don't know how long it'll be till I'll uh, get you to agree to sit down for another one of these, Thailand. Thailand, yeah. That's a whole other part of your life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You wrote a book about it. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's it called? Boxing it's called Day? Boxing Day. Boxing and Day. It's, um, so I've always loved Thailand, and uh, I've been there a bunch. And, and Boxing Day is just um, a book I wrote because I was there during the tsunami. Yeah. And uh, and what it's like when you – my whole life I, I, as a kid, I see these big disasters happen on TV, and I romanticized it. I was like, I want to be there and right. help. I want to fucking help. I'm going to make a difference, you know? And, and you have that naivety until you actually are in one. And then when you're in one, you realize this fucking sucks. Everything about this is awful. It smells like I'm my sweat's dripping into my mouth with decomposition from yeah. 20,000 bodies that are dead here. What part of Thailand were you in? I was in a place called Koh Lak. Um, Koh Lak got hit the hardest in Thailand. So that's on near Phuket and over in that it's area? It's north of Phuket. Uh-huh. Phuket only barely got hit. Uh-huh. Kolak got hit the hardest, which is where they made the movie The Impossible. That that's about Kolak. Uh, if, if you saw it, um, I haven't seen it. But um, yeah, Kolak is basically like a cove. So on a, and so the water comes in and you know spins like a like a spin cycle yeah. and fills up. And so um, so basically, yeah, I was there and I, I wrote the book. And the book's really a, a take on what your ego goes through. When you're in a situation like this, because you want to help, but you can't help, but you feel like a dick if you don't help. So you're really staying helping and trying to do something with every obstacle in your way. So you can't really do much, and you're staying more out of guilt. Right. So it's a lot of like my inner banter. So it's there's actually a lot of comedy in the book because, <laughs> because it's like this is what you're really thinking, yeah. but this is what you do because yeah. you feel bad, and then people talk to you about wow this must have changed your life said no it doesn't change your life yeah it's just another experience um but it 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 is crazy like and and it's another experience where you like 
you see those things that we were just talking about in motion, like people give your money to the Red Cross and to UNICEF and all these places that are supposed to like come and fix things. And, and they're so structured that they can't even really fix things. And they get yeah. there late, and yeah. then they stop all the work that you're actually doing because they're going to do it. Right. And while they're doing that, they make stupid choices, like put the refugees on a river instead of the places we kind of had put them. And so... They put two camps on the same river, but they don't put porta potties. So they'll put them in the river. And then the one downstream gets sick. Right. So a lot of the illness comes from m- malpractice. Yeah. And um, so, so it's one of those disheartening things. But I, I, I only wrote the book because I had six, like, should have been dead moments in this short period of time. One was the fact that I missed the tsunami. I was en route there, but I had argued with the airlines to try to change my ticket so I would have been there. And you were just on vacation. You were just going yeah. to hang out and relax on the beach. Yeah. yeah. So, so I missed that. Then, so you show up what the day after? Yeah, yeah. Show up the day after on a bus. On a you flew in. I had a well, car. You, can I fly, a, you I, hired a car from Bangkok. Yeah. Yeah, and and I was headed there, and my itinerary was already there, right. and I very seldom make a reservation in Thailand, but I had made a reservation because there was a place I wanted to stay in Kolak that was cool because it was kind of up on the perch, and it was the one place that was still standing. <laughs> and they honored your reservation? And I was the only one because everybody else left. Everyone else And they're left? trying oh. to take my bags and shit and help me, and I was like, fucking no, stop it. Like, I'm not, you, I'm not, you're not going to take care of me. And so then you, you feel like a jerk. You're like, well, yeah, I could fly over to Koh Samui or something, and it's clean and have a party or, and leave all these people here. You know. But they were going to take care of me, so I should stay and try to help them. And so that's kind of what happened. And, and then you're – fuck, you don't realize how useless you are yeah. until you're in the situation. You know, I mean, I think we're intelligent to some degree, but when it really comes down to skills that help, yeah. <laughs> like I'm yeah. useless. Well, I, I had a conversation about this just recently um, with Casilda, my wife, who's a medical doctor, as you know, right? And she's not only a medical doctor, but she spent seven years working in the African bush yeah. as a doctor first aid kind of you know she had medical supplies in the back of the truck and she went from village to village she's treated everything from broken bones she's performed amputation she's delivered babies yeah so in a situation like this she's the ideal person right Right. she's got those skills we're talking about but i said to her this was when um the big uh, hurricane or or, uh, typhoon in uh, the philippines just a month or two ago and we were watching it on tv and i said to her like you know Given your skills, do you see something like this and feel, oh, fuck, I want to be there? I could, I could, you know, really? And she said, no, I'd get in the way. I said, what do you mean? She said, you know, okay, first of all, how do I get there? I'm taking up space on someone's helicopter that could be food and water. And then I get there, I'm like using food, using, you know, supplies that other people need. I'm not going to really be able to do much because they don't have the medical supplies they need. Like, what am I going to do? There's no bandages. There's no antiseptics. There's no, you know, it's like, so it's like even someone with those skills looks at it because she's been in those situations. and it. And she's seen what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, fuck, there's there's nothing I even I can do. And, you know? and there's truth to the argument, but there's both sides. Because, like, 
It's true in that the resources aren't there. That's yeah. the biggest problem. What she said, sorry to interrupt you, yeah. but what she said is, look, if they gave me a helicopter full of medical supplies, right. generators, you know, everything I need. Yeah. And fly me in, then I'd, then I'd love to do it. Right. Otherwise, I'm just standing around you know, using supplies that other people need. Totally. And, and that was one thing I think is a reality when you sit there. You know, as a kid, you see these movies and like Jodie Foster standing there with the clipboard. And she's like, I need more antibiotics. You know? and, 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 but when you get there, there's not even a clipboard. You, you know? and, 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 and Where the fuck is Jodie Foster? Right. Yeah. And so, so, so that's the biggest realization. That's, funny, you're that's good. Man. <laughs> is, is, is like, is, is, is that there, there's fucking nothing. Yeah, yeah. And and slowly things start to arrive, and there's donations of things. So it's like, okay, so for instance, a pile of like bad old computers like show up, and they're not functional. And so one of the first tasks I did. We needed to create a network so people could start writing in information about the dead bodies and descriptions and forensics. So they. Sorry to interrupt. How, yeah. how uh, you say we? We like who's we? Was there an organization small that group you of just the went useless and, people that were oh, like you trying to do stuff to a degree? Yeah, really interesting. And and you know, so, so basically there would be. Um, so basically, the, there would be like let's say this one like hotel or hut group with a you know palapa would take the people that were there staying there and they'd just organize under that palapa and there'd be like a table tables put up and people would start to gather and hang out there stop by and hey what's you'd put up a sign says relief or you know efforts and um so yeah all right, we were just interrupted by a giant moving truck uh, <laughs> trying to maneuver up this tiny little winding road in the Hollywood Hills. So, so the, you're talking about the self-organizing Palapas yeah. and all that. Yeah. So these are these are other Westerners who are there on vacation who decided to stay and yeah. some local people. Like a mix, like a smorgasbord of cultures. Now, did you get like that kind of intense, meaningful rush that people in the military often talk about? You know, when you're in a crisis. Like life is heightened and all that. I mean, not really. It, it you, you have this moment where you start to see a mass amount of death, and it moves into your body a little as like a like oh fuck, and then it shuts off, and then it becomes like a construction worker site, and you have inappropriate humor. Well, that's a big thing among physicians. You know, yeah. people who who are around death tend to uh, develop. A uh, very heightened sense of humor around it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really about keeping everybody else okay. You right. know, you start just trying to make each other laugh. And, right. And, uh, and as you're doing it, you're putting in long hours. It's really hot and humid. You're exhausted. You're not eating much. And it fucking stinks. And so you become in this, you start living in a, like a state of delirium because uh-huh. you keep going and you're going and then you pass out for a little bit and it's bad sleep and you wake up and you're in the same clothes and you're grimy. Um, so, so yeah, you, you know, your, your brain goes to like a weird drugged out sort of feeling space and, and half the people that show up. Um, that are the help 
are useless like vagrant travelers who show up with like a video camera and you know their their teeth are chattering and their eyes are twitching from all the amphetamines that they're taking you know so they have an idea of like i'm gonna we're gonna document this and it's gonna be crazy and they're you know everybody's there on a selfish sort of mission and all the people that are useless like your wife i mean useful uh those people don't come because they know better. <laughs> they, they, they know better. <laughs> they they justify how they yeah. can't be helpful. And who wants to go to a third world country that's hard to get in and out of, spend a bunch of time, a bunch of energy, and feel like they can't do anything? Right. So it's a bunch of useless people like us. And they just happen and, to be there. And yeah. half of them hang out for a minute and then take off to go to the party island, the, the full moon party. Right. And, um, and then the people who have guilt <laughs> stay. And... Uh, and so, you, and then you just kind of get in this uh, rhythm of like, this is what we're doing today. And so, so like what I was saying is like a pile of shitty, shitty old computers that don't work show up. And my first task was like to try to make a functional network. So I took all these computers that, and it was that total cliche thing where there's like no body on the computer and like there's sparks going and I'm trying to get power and shocking myself literally and and the, the biggest useful quality I had was I knew enough about computers to build a network and but I knew all we needed was to use excel files and and the computers had all different amounts of memory, mostly very little, and different operating systems. But to link them up, we had to have them all at least to a certain level of operating system. But there was such a small amount of memory that when I distributed it across six machines, the only thing I could use was Windows 98. So I had to find out, figure out how to downgrade some of these machines to get Windows 98 so that we could have enough space on the hard drives, enough memory to distribute Excel across the machines. So I got that happen, but it was amazing. It was so cool because it literally looked like that dilapidated, shitty, sparky, don't touch over there, you know, you will get electrocuted. You know, it was like that. Yeah. Um, and then um, whatever, you... you, you like, we, we were moving a lot of bodies in and out of, like, particle board boxes. And so, hence the name of my, my book is Boxing Day. And oh, it happened but it also happened on, on Boxing, Boxing Day. Day. Yeah. Oh, and and right. so, so there are these particle board boxes that we sort of used as, like, containers. And then the military actually brought in... Um, like cargo containers that were made into freezers. The time, you know, time. they would kind of be cold sometimes, and then mm-hmm. they wouldn't be cold. So the bodies kept. First of all, they decomposed because of the humidity and being waterlogged. Right. And so you couldn't often tell, like, is this a guy or a girl's body, uh, because the skin would peel and parts oh would God. peel off. And you're picking them up and by the ankles and the and wrists. You're picking them up by whatever you can. And and, oh, you know, and and so they would go into these freezer containers, and if the bags weren't sealed, and some of the bags didn't even have proper seals, the body would kind of go on to the metal of the cargo container. Then the freezer would come on, oh. and it freezes down. So then you're kind of yanking oh, and yanking, peeling them off. The, oh, off. Dude, oh like, yeah, no, like, no! Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, and and now, is this the first time you'd ever seen a dead body? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Right, because most of us go through life without seeing yeah. any dead body, right. or if we see one, it's in a casket full of formaldehyde with you know flowers everywhere. Right. 
totally. Holy so yeah, I mean, I've seen a few of those, like of like yeah, those, you yeah. Know, but funny like looking. someone dead yeah. lying on the beach, that's yeah, yeah, a different thing different. completely. Um, oh and God. and so so there are a couple of funny things that occurred, like the if you call it funny, but the you know the the Thai people in that area are you know village people. They're not. It's not a city. They're not educated that much, and and the bodies were so uh, you know fucked up that. They started organizing and digging holes and like bodies with like dark colored pubic hair and hair would go into the like pile of Thai people and the bodies with lighter colored hair would go into the Farang pile or the tourist foreigner pile. And some of them a lot got buried. So we had to unbury. What? And and, and, to identify them. Yeah. To, yeah, and so you take them Jesus unburied, Christ. so they're all tweaked. Put them in bags, put them in the boxes, put them in the freezer. Dude, why did you not flee from this? I mean, I, I, I because I, you're you're in it, and and you, you you make the decision like I feel I feel guilty leaving. Are you still paying like the hotel room and stuff? Yeah, yeah. They're still charging you that, for your I room. Mean, I don't think they would have charged, but I mean, I kept trying to, like, yeah, you know. So um, did the, did the Thai? Did you get a sense that the Thai people were really appreciative that someone who could have taken off wasn't? You know, it was a lot of Thai people left. Yeah, and so the people that were there. There was not a lot of sitting around going, wow, I appreciate you. Right. You know, you right. were just kind of like, here's the task. Right. And and you're all kind of mentally fucked up. So you're not really like... Oh, Christ, you're, you're, un- you're digging like, up bodies that have been buried. I mean, I didn't do a lot of the digging. No, well, but whatever. Yeah. The, yeah. You're grabbing them. You're pulling right. them. You're there. You're smelling them. You're seeing them. Yeah, yeah, um, I I was told by... Um, like a French guy who was kind of helping in sort of around the main um, uh, the main temple. I can't remember the name of it. Like Koyao or some shit. I can't remember. Like, here's a bag. Take anything. Put it in the bag. Take this. Um, if there's hair, take some hair samples. If you can, like, put it, this chip, like, in their eye area, like, and so you would kind of, like, have some sort of a categorizing thing, mm. and here's everything for that body. And so I did that a little bit. Did everything a little bit, but you'd quickly be moved on to something else, and then you'd mm. kind of try to help somebody over here, and then it was just over. You know, the time passed pretty quick. And how, then, how long were you there? I was there for, like... <sighs> I mean, in that actual area, probably like ten days or two weeks, and and the, and when I stopped, it was when all of the organized people arrived, and then they stop you. They basically stop, even though you're finally starting to get something. She's learning how to do like, it. Yeah. yeah. Then the organized people get there, and then they stop it, and then they don't do anything for a while. While they negotiate who's going to do what and who can spend their money on what and who's credited for what. So at that point, you're kind of frustrated. You're kind of battered. And then I said, okay, fuck it. You're putting it to a stop. Then I'm going to fly to the opposite coast. And I'm going to go get clean and get this smell off of me and rest. And so then I went there. So I flew over there. And and back to what I was saying, motivation of writing the book. It wasn't just for that. It was for – I almost died all these times. Um, Another thing that happened is – 
I got over to Koh Samui and I met these Canadian kids who had never been to Thailand before and um, they wanted to go to the full moon party which is the next island over and you jump on a boat yeah Yeah. and uh, you know everybody that hasn't been they hear all these bad stories so they're kind of scared but they want to go they hear oh people will get killed people die you know because drug overdoses and this and this and this and poisonings and this and so I said, ah, it's not so bad. Look, if you guys want to go, I'll, I'll, I'll take you over there. And so I went over there. I said, I'm not going not gonna to do anything. I'm not going to hang out, have drinks, and dance around or something. And so I was like the escort. And so they all got split up except for this one kid. And, and uh, we were together and was drinking. You know, when you drink out of those big buckets, yeah. fill a bucket with ice and Thai whiskey and yeah. Red Bull and stuff. But it's like not regulated. So the Red Bull maybe is kind of shady and mm-hmm. like everything is what it is so you're passing your bucket around dancing my bucket comes back i'm drinking and we're on the beach so like all the sand is in it and i'm drinking all the sand and i'm finally whatever i'm drunk but uh and the sun starts coming out and i was like shit let's go before the boats get all crazy so i grabbed the kid and i was walking back we're talking and the sun's just coming up and i'm like oh my god this is so beautiful and this feels so good it's so nice to be here with you and this is amazing and i feel like i'm so high and on drugs and i'm not and it's amazing and i just feel good but i love you so much and it's so great to be here and i felt like this like full rush i was like wow okay and I was so, like, high that we get to the boats and all these people are, like, cramming on this one boat. And it's like, oh, man, this is so pretty. I don't want to, like, I don't want to sit on that crammed boat. There's another boat that will leave right after. Let's just get on that one. So they, like, fill the shit out of this one boat. Capacity 25. They probably put 45. Yeah. And, um, and on, on our boat, there's, like, six of us. And it's, like, beautiful. And the sun's coming up. And we're riding and going, ah, this is amazing. It's Thailand. And as we pull in... There's all these fire trucks. You're and, pulling and into Kosumui. Yeah. Which is, what, an hour trip across? 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Yeah. And it, it's open water. Yeah. After and I've it's done choppy this trip. And, bumpy. And, you're, and the boat is like a long, narrow thing with the, the car motor and kind the long of, yeah. tail. And, and, one of those and things. it like hits the yeah. pretty hard. Yeah. Like, you you yeah. bounce a lot. Yeah. yeah. And so we arrive, and there's all these you know ambulances and, and shit everywhere. And pull in. And the boat that I didn't get on capsized, and seven people died. The reason I didn't get on this boat, what I found out shortly thereafter, it's because I was having such a beautiful experience, was that I started, my eyes started crossing, and I started not being able to breathe well, and then my heart started palpitating, and I'm like, I gotta go to the hospital. Something's wrong with me. And I, so I get, so I'm like, maybe I need food. Maybe I just need to eat. I haven't eaten. So I stop. I, I go to the little pizza place next to my hut. This is upon arriving at yeah. the beach. All yeah. the fire trucks. Oh, my God. The right. other boat capsized. Yeah, I'm yeah. not feeling well. Yeah. So I, I'm like, I just need food. So I go to the pizza place right next to my hut. And there's this little gay Thai guy. And my eyes are crossing. I feel like I'm going to fucking die. And I'm trying to force the pizza in. And he's like hitting on me. He's like, when am when I'm going to see you, we will go together. And I'm like, no, look, you're a really nice person. Where's the hospital? I fucking need to go to the hospital. I can't see. I'm tweaking out. And I get to the hospital, and they, they take care of me. And I'm there's tons of amphetamines in my body. So that was You'd not sand. 
that I was ingesting in the drink, it was amphetamines. So because I got super high from this drink, you decided not to. I didn't want to get on the boat. boat. And if I wasn't high, I'd be like, I just want to get home. Yeah, I'm tired. Yeah. So, so in a weird way, I was saved because I was drugged. <laughs> maybe, maybe I would have survived the capsizing, but. Uh, so so oh, shit like that shit, happened man. the whole time. Yeah. So so that's why I wrote the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know you know who Milan Kundera is. Yeah. He yeah. wrote the unbearable ending of me. In some interview, somebody asked him why he wrote books, and he said, "Because I don't have any grandchildren, and even if I did, they wouldn't listen to me." <laughs> so it's like yeah. you get to it. I mean, you're only forty. Yeah. Fuck. But I mean, uh, you know, a certain amount of things happen to you, and it's like. It's not that, you know, I, I sometimes feel sort of um, hesitant to tell travel stories, yeah. you know, because I've heard them so many times. Right. And, Same. You, you know, you don't want to you don't want to be that old guy at the party yeah. who talks about himself all the time. Yeah. But one of the things that's cool about this podcast or, or other podcasts that I've been on is sometimes I'll get into a story like that and I'll be like, oh, what the hell? And I'll tell it. <laughs> and I'll get like 50 emails from people saying, oh, really? dude, tell more of those stories. Oh, wow. You know, yeah, because people get vicarious pleasure from. It and they come to trust you, and they know yeah. it's not some bullshit. You actually live this, you right? Know? Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's great to write books, but dude, you should do a podcast or or just be on mine like <laughs> I, every week. I, I think I'll be on yours as much as you want. I, I'm not starting a you. podcast. <laughs> That's all I have you too need. Much other shit. That's right. But I always wished, like, I thought it'd be so cool to have like a couple of your guys and have a radio show yeah. where you just talk like this and and a lot about relationships because. Right. People don't get the guy perspective on relationships very well, especially right. not from guys who are articulate about like their emotional existence. Right, um, right. And like, I just did a, a podcast with Joe Rogan. Yeah, you know him, and Duncan Trussell, who's a comedian, and he and Joe are old friends, and okay. they've done a lot of stuff together. And we did this three three way podcast, and afterwards. Um, you know, we all had a great time, but Joe, Joe was like, dude, we should do this every month. I mean, would you right. fly to L.A. monthly and we'll do this? Yeah. You know, just because I'm older than them, you yeah. know, I've got a different kind of background. We all have different, you know, they're, they're, we're all very distinct. So to have that, I mean, it's really good with the third guy, as you say, with an, because, like, you can take a break or right. you can, like, lose the thread and it doesn't matter because the two of them are talking anyway sure, sure. and you get back. So it's it's uh, it's a nice number three to have that. So now, yeah. Maybe we can do it with Jordan next time. Yeah, yeah. Because like, he's a really interesting really, guy. And he's so articulate about, like, emotional stuff and relationships. And he's he's a great storyteller, too. Well, listen, I, I know you got stuff to do. I've taken up uh, <laughs> how much time here? It's over two hours. No way. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I've stopped it and started it. Uh, but I know I'm going to get lots of emails from people saying, that's the most interesting dude ever. You know, <laughs> put him on a Dos Equis commercial. <laughs> I'll so, so. do Dos Equis. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's do this again. I yeah, really man. appreciate you, t- t- you know, making no, time so for fun. it. It's, it's fun. obviously easy yeah. to keep talking to you. Yeah, yeah. cool. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's keep talking, but we'll turn off the damn mics. All right. That will get really nasty. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> So there you have it, the amazing Chris James. Pretty incredible life so far, huh? Uh, I mean, he told three, four crazy-ass stories there, and there are a lot more where those came from. We didn't even really get into the whole rock star thing, which is just taking off right now. Uh, This week, next week, late January, early February, this band he's in called Bootstraps uh, is going to be playing their first gigs. So if you're in L.A. or anywhere in Southern California 
check your local listings and you know drive into LA and catch that gig. It's going to be amazing. I, I'm sorry I'm missing it, um, but I hope I'll be able to catch one of their uh, gigs in February. Um, yeah, they they just you know he and his buddy got together, put together a few songs, whatever they were playing for another friend. That friend knew a guy at I think it was Capitol Records. And, you know, send it in to him. And next thing you know, they're signed to a record contract. I mean, that's the way shit happens in his life. So he's on his way to becoming a rock star in addition to all the other crazy stuff that you've already heard. Um, yeah, Bootstraps. Check it out. I don't know if maybe some of the songs are even available online already. I'm not sure. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, and I think you do if you're still listening to my voice two and a half hours into this thing, uh, consider sending in a donation um, or and or shopping at Amazon through our affiliate link. You can get to it at chrisryanphd.com, click on the podcast tab, or you can just go straight to tangentiallyspeaking.com, takes you to the same place. You'll see the Bonobo uh, upper right-hand corner, click on his balls, that takes you to Amazon. Anything you buy in that session, we get it 2-3% uh, off Amazon's profits. So kind of cool, doesn't cost you anything, and Amazon can afford it. Alternatively, if you've got some extra money lying around or you just feel um, some sort of ethical Im impulse to, to support the podcast, please do. Uh, there's a donate button in the same place. Just click on donate and you can do it through PayPal with uh, any major credit card, I do believe, or whatever PayPal money you've got accumulating. So thank you very much. Pretty soon, I think I'm even going to have a Bitcoin thing set up. Somebody wrote to me and offered to set it up for me. Uh, so once I get uh, get back on land and a fast internet connection, I'll I'll talk to to him or her. I don't remember if it was a man or a woman. Uh, I think it's a dude. Um, and get that set up. That'll be fun. Not, not that I will really know what to do with bitcoins if and when anyone sends me some, but uh, I guess it's the modern age, right? So thanks for listening. Uh, hope to catch you next time. Tell your friends about the podcast and leave a, a review on iTunes if you do that kind of thing. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. He said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you. Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you ever know Said it for a headstone Soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up Or give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Think about an obligation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say When everyone 
Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.